Bonzilla presents Pirates of the Caribbean. Each week we set sail into the world of pirates. This week the original trilogy ends with a little character development, a whole lot of maelstrom, and at least one giant woman. It's 2007's Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. everyone we're finally back once again for a brand new bondzilla presents i am nick i'm will and uh hope you all had a happy uh thanksgiving if you are american yes. and if you're not american then i hope you had a great thursday and a great weekend um i i you know what? it's funny because i have where where i work right now there's like i, I work with a lot of people not in the states and it, it, it's the first time ever that I had the experience of like, I go out on my two day holiday and then everybody, and I'm still getting work emails. And there was a minute where I was like, wait, what, what's going on? <laughs> am, I, am I supposed to be working? And then it's like, oh no, everybody else I work with doesn't have Thanksgiving. No. Which by the way, real quick question, because we know the audience loves me, you know, putting you on the spot on random unrelated things. But if you are an American, and you are in, let's say, Europe, and Thanksgiving happens, do you get the day off? I mean, not unless you set no, it no, up. No, no, like, no, like you. Like, do you think, do you feel like you should get the day off? No. I say no. Because it would be, it's the opposite. <laughs> like, if you're not American, and you come to America, and you're here on Thanksgiving, well, guess what? You have the day off. But you're saying, okay, but like, Wait, wait, hold on. Um, no, like no, but that's what I'm saying. But you, you have to obey the land that you're in. Yes. Holiday. Yes. So if you are in, like, like it's if not. You're a, in, you can't be in Europe and be like, well, it's Thanksgiving today. I'm not working. Right. But if you're, if like, <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, if you're in Canada on Canadian Thanksgiving, then mm -hmm. yeah, you would celebrate. And you get Can that day off. Yeah, you get, I yeah, agree. you get, you get the day off of Canadian. Yeah, I agree is, with that. I, I say the only exceptions are if it was a holiday and you are actually taking a trip. Like yes. maybe to visit family for your native holiday, or it's a religious holiday. A religious holiday, maybe you get the religious exemption. Yeah, like, sure. But but I, I Thanksgiving, I, I had this very Larry David moment in my head that like because I was talking to some some people who work in the state or or work there but are from the states, and they're like, well, yeah, I get the day off tomorrow, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> everybody else has to work. You got to play by their rules. <laughs> yeah, I guess, you know, if you set it up specifically, if you have a good employer, but you, you, know. you can see you can see the curb episode like yes. that. Somebody from Europe is like working with Larry and then it's like, well, it's harvest day. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, but we don't. Sell <laughs> like, you can see the episode anyway. It's easy. It's easy to imagine a lot of curb episodes, especially in your life. Yeah, no, I, I live a season Every year for me is a season of curb as far yeah. as I'm concerned. But anyway, that's um, our long-winded way of saying we hope everybody had a happy and thankful giving. 
And we're, we're thankful for, again, for you listeners. I always thank you at the end of the episode, but you know what? We're going to thank you at the beginning of this episode. Yes. And I'll thank you again at the end for uh, sticking along with us as we uh, delve into new franchises, uh, including the one we are discussing today. We are, uh, it's time for us to get through the, the, the original Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy. We have one more film to go before we head into... Uh, the parts unknown part of the the sea, even though I've seen one of the movies. Um, Nick's that, trying to be polite. We're going to be talking about the last good Pirates of the Caribbean movie. <laughs> yes, fair enough. Um, we're talking about Pirates of the Caribbean 3, a.k.a. Pirates of the Caribbean, at World's End. Not the World's End. That's for a different series of movies um, that uh, also has Bill Nye in it. That's true. It does. Yes. Uh, but this movie. play in that? He's the. Spoilers if you haven't seen The World's End. He's the. Oh, vo- right. He's the. Okay. Yeah, I remember. Sorry. Yeah. To okay. Yeah. No spoilers. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know who he plays. He's at, he's at the end of the movie. Um, anyways. But this movie does not have Pierce Brosnan in it. Or doesn't. It doesn't have a Bond in it. So there's that. Uh. Will, you're muted. Okay. I'm eating crackers. Okay. I okay. You want I'll, me to you want me to chew crackers into the microphone? <laughs> no, I okay. I'll I'll add it all that out. I didn't know. No, didn't no, know. no. Immediate res, man. People need to know. This is cracker time. All this right. My evening snack. Okay. Fair enough. Whatever. I muted it. I knew what I was doing. Okay. I, I look, I, I didn't know. Sometimes I'm like, hey, like I <laughs> I, I have to edit these now. I don't want any like you know. Unknown mess ups. All right, fair enough. In the thing. All right, whatever. Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. It's time to discuss. Uh, you know, wrap up this this whole original Pirates trilogy. We'll talk about the film and kind of you know the the full standing of the the that original story and that original trilogy. Um, and I'm ready. To, I'm ready to get right into it. As you uh, you know, have your have your snack, enjoy your food. I while, will. While I, I talk, will enjoys my my cracker and cheeses. All right. Well. Uh, the one thing that I'll say about, you know, we go into the production history, we go into kind of how the film's made. The, the, the one thing about discussing At World's End is there's a lot of overlap with what we just talked about last time on our on our pirate series with Dead Man's Chest in the sense that, you know, to quickly review, they decided to do back-to-back filming. Both films were written at the same time. And Rocio and, and Elliot, you know, were, were fully in control of this and they, you know, took a big task of writing these kind of two scripts simultaneously, essentially kind of writing two movies, but also kind of writing one giant script that would kind of encompass the end of this story within the Pirates world. We talked about how, you know, they kind of had to refocus on the Dead Man's Chest script wasn't finished when the movie came out. And so essentially they were working on dead man's chest and writing, you know, rewriting on set while they were still trying to finish up this part of the movie. Uh, Cause one of the distinct things when you film the movie back to back, and especially with this movie uh, with these two films, I should say is they basically really shot them at the same time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that while there is a lot of the unique settings um, that we'll talk about in at world's end that were kind of done in the, in the second shoot of these two, the back to back filming, a lot of the scenes um, that basically all the scenes that were needed in the Caribbean area 
were filmed during Dead Man's Chest. So anything that was, you know, needed to be shot in like the Port Royal sets or any of the islands down there, um, any of the stuff that they shot on those ships were basically shot both Dead Man's Chest and at World's End stuff at the same time. As well um, as while Dead Man's Chest was still in the midst of filming, they were already working on the Singapore set uh, here back in, in California at the Universal lot which we'll, we'll, do, we'll discuss in a little bit. Uh, but there are a few specific uh, details of the script of this movie uh, that we do need to talk about. And one of which is, again, uh, Elliot and Rocio, for their, for their stuff in these movies, you know, especially with Dead Man's Checks, took a lot of inspiration from actual mythology of, you know, Davy Jones and sort of Davy Jones' locker and a Kraken and everything like that. Uh, but they did still have their eye on actual pirate history and actual world history. Uh, so one of the ideas that they found while researching legitimate pirate history was they discovered that at one point there was an actual council of pirates uh, that had originally started with with pirates of you know the Caribbean and uh, Britain, but eventually did expand to include uh, pirates from China, pirates from Africa. Uh, pirates from all around the world is basically kind of a somewhat governing body of pirates. Well, not really just kind of a, a meeting place for people to kind of, you know, air out grievances and, and, and sort of, you know, locations of the world and like who owned what seas and, and sort of that sort of stuff. So they decided to kind of create their own council of pirates in what becomes known in the movie as the, the brethren court. And each of those pirates in the brethren court is, a, a, not essentially a fictional version of a real pirate, but inspired by a real pirate. Uh, so like the Madame Chang character, one of the Brethren Court, is inspired by a real-life uh, female Chinese pirate that was you know, very famous. And, and same thing for the you know, African pirates and the Mediterranean pirates and the French pirate. Like All of those are, are inspired by actual real-life pirates to the point where uh, when they all raise their flags in the movie, those are all actual pirate flags from the era as well. And so while Elliot and Rocio were kind of trying to figure out the, the actual last plot implications and taking still a lot of, of, of the mythology and finishing up sort of the uh, Davy Jones story and sort of bringing the uh, Barbosa's heathen gods comment full circle from the first movie with the character of Calypso, who is described as a heathen god. Gore Verbinski, of course, returning for his final Pirates film, was very focused in on wanting to make sure that the, the character work was at the forefront of this movie because he felt that the first movie that he directed, you know, Curse of the Black Pearl, was very character-oriented, and Dead Man's Chest was sort of a necessary plot-driven film to kind of really set up a new mythology and kind of put places, people in places and pot points in places. So he wanted this to be a somewhat a nice mixture of those first two movies, but to really re-drive home sort of the character aspect of the film and to sort of finish up these characters and at least their arc in this movie, especially the first three, the three main original characters of Will, Elizabeth, and Jack. Gore wanted a, a distinct focus on those three uh, from Elliot and Rocio. And so, again, a lot of collaboration on making sure that that sort of happened. Um, and uh, Gore did view sort of the themes of this movie and sort of the events of this movie as sort of foretold, foretelling the end of an era that the, the pirates were looking on 
you know, the end, the, the end of the, the pirating era and the beginning of sort of the, 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 the era and the age of the, the East India trading companies of the world. And even though there's this kind of big battle that there is this still side of nature that things are coming to an end as we know it, as the pirates know it, as the characters know it. So that was kind of a big thematic element that he kind of wanted to also keep throughout the film. You know, it's really funny. Um, speaking of that, it's interesting to hear because obviously, yes, that is a thematic thing that resonates in the movie. But there is another Gore Verbinski film that deals with this with another classic um, cultural touchstone in, in the form of a Western a little animated film you may know as Rango, also mm -hmm. starring Johnny Depp. Yes. Um, little little underrated gem of an animated movie. Very interesting. But what is funny about it was like that movie also had like a, you know, uh, part of the text and subtext of the film was like, okay, well, there's like this, you know, the, the modern age of Western is overtaking the more mythological age of the western where it's like you know legendary gunslingers and like you know sheriffs and bad guys that come to town it's all about innovation and you know bureaucracy now so it's just funny like i'm always fascinated by you know directors wanting to like re um re-explore similar ideas and themes in different films and they don't get any more interesting than um you know going from a pirates film to an animated uh western film and it's and to some degree i mean that's also isn't that kind of also in lone ranger as well that that's the movie i thought you were about to mention <laughs> which i'll have to, i think we should review that movie too but i'll get to that another time yeah. i i think that should I, be. A I, I will say i think rango is a little bit more successful in doing it than the lone ranger but low it is in lone ranger though yeah yeah, there, there is there, to, to a degree, yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll I'll discuss that with you another time. Anyway, oh, wow, he really likes Johnny Depp. I actually am now just realizing it. Like, wow, he worked with Johnny Depp quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. So, so that's sort of the sort of the main drive, and 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 really for Elliot and Rocio, it's it's really trying to end this story on a strong point, and and a big epic battle at the end and really making it feel big and taking advantage of the money that Disney was giving them. Because at the time of filming, this was the most expensive movie ever made. All three Lord of the Rings movies were made under this, like under the amount of money in this budget. It was, it was, it was a, it was a crazy budget, almost over $300 million. Uh, it, it was a huge undertaking for the cast and, and the crew. And, and again, Elliot and Rocio and Verbinski wanted to kind of use that money effectively so right. that's where kind of the big maelstrom battle well, at like, the end yeah because what's it because peter jackson's like i'm landlocked everything is on land yes <laughs> like once you want to start filming at sea yes the, the tab starts building up uh so another thing about uh the movie obviously we kind of know a good majority of the cast uh we've already talked about them uh coming back it, you know they've already signed on for this back-to-back -back movies really not much difference between their opinions on you know coming back for dead man's chest and this one here nightly uh is a little bit swan continues to have a very big influence on her character and her character's direction especially for kind of the end of the movie and, and kind of creating herself as as the strong presence that she is throughout the film uh johnny depp of course excited to be back as sparrow but he was very excited to be working once again with jeffrey rush yes in the in the role of of barbosa yes. and 
and and Johnny Depp said that he enjoyed he really enjoyed working with Rush. Thought he was a great actor on the first movie. This one they would have a different, slightly different dynamic in, in that fact that they were kind of on the same side, you know, kind of sort of as we'll talk about. Uh, and and Jeff Depp described their relationship. It's like we're like two old ladies knitting, arguing. That's basically what we are together. And he got a real kick out of it. Though a lot of the cast members noted that during his off time on set, Depp was practicing uh, his singing because his next role after this was going to be uh, Sweetie Todd for Tim Burton. So uh, Depp was kind of in between doing the crazy Jack stuff that we see and basically singing and practicing his his uh, workforce for Sweeney Todd. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a one real significant new character uh, in this movie, uh, which is the character of Sal Feng, played by legendary uh, actor Chow Young-Fat, uh, who you know is very known for his collaborations with, with John Woo in the Hong Kong action industry. The one thing about uh, Chow Young-Fat's uh, addition to this cast is he was extremely excited to be involved with like in, in a big American blockbuster uh, and, and worked side by side with Gore Verbinski, not only to, uh, you know, hone his character and, and really sort of, you know, it, a lot of the character that we see on the film, just like with the rest of the cast is very influenced by what, what Chow Young Fat wanted to do. Uh, but Chow Young Fat actually helped finish up building the Singapore set. Uh, and, and sort of like given the last little details of that as well. And he had, uh, he, by all accounts of everybody who's worked with him on this movie, he, he was having the time of his life just doing something completely different. And, and, and again, Beach being in a, in a big American blockbuster like this was, was a real treat, treat well, for him. Like, it, it's funny because in many ways, like we've talked a little bit about how this franchise kind of, um, prematurely kind of like showcases certain things that would become mainstream in terms of how you make a lot of these movies now. And I, it's funny when you go back and look at like the Chow Yun-Fat like casting, I remember, you know, not that I was like engrossed in his filmography, but I knew who he was. So (laughs) it was just kind of like, oh, that was like the get, like one of the gets for the movie. Like, it's like, oh, like he is going to be in the movie in this role. And it, and it reminds me very, much of how a lot of uh, mainstream casting, especially into like superhero movies go. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like recently it's like, you know, how Tony Leung was in Shang-Chi, like something like that, where it's like these actors who are very much known, but then it's like, okay, finally, they're gonna be in like a big budget movie. And like, I, I do remember that that had the same kind of feeling to it, at least yeah. for me when, I heard that he was cast in the film Mm -hmm. for sure. And again, like he just said, people said he, and he said himself, he was having the time of his life, just doing something very different for him. Uh, I was going to save it for later, but I might as well just was, was bring it up now because it does relate a little bit to sort of the fact that these films were filmed back to back after that first movie, there was a lot of negotiation, a lot of discussions to bring uh, Rolling Stones (laughs) band leader and, yeah. And, and, and member Keith Richards onto the movie, as Depp had publicly said that Keith Richards was a big influence on how he portrayed Jack. Uh, the Richards cameo was supposed to originally be in Dead Man's Chest, mm-hmm. um, but changes to the script in sort of that very quick turnaround of, of trying to get the movie shot kind of left no room for the, uh, the Richards character. 
And also at the time of Dead Man's Chest, Richards was still in the midst of a Rolling Stone tour, but Vervinsky was adamant that he wanted to get that Richards cameo in while he was doing these movies. So they finally made it work uh, to get to, to get the Keith Richards in the role of Jack's father uh, before the Petherin court scene. Um, now, did we know that going in? I, I, if I remember correctly, I think it was one, if you were in, I don't think every, I don't think it was like, I kind of think it is like the, it's funny as you were just talking about this. It is kind of like the whole like Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield thing. where like, if you knew, right, if you were right, right. following, you kind of basically knew, but there are definitely people out there where it's like, it wasn't really told to everybody it wasn't really like so yeah because i remember from my knowledge of it as a kid was like everybody knew that they wanted to get him in there because keith richard like it was so public the one thing you knew about the johnny depp performance of jack sparrow was that keith richards was the inspiration yeah and i remember there were talks of like what i knew about it's like wouldn't it be fun if he came in as cat and jack's dad Yes. So that's about as much as I knew. So then when he shows up in the movie, spoilers, when he shows up in the movie, it is one of those things where it wasn't necessarily like a mind-blowing surprise. It was more of just kind of like a, oh, that's fun that they actually that, that, did it. That, yes, exactly. I, I so. could not remember if we knew that he was going to be in the movie right. or not. Like I said, I think it was kind of like an open secret that he was kind of, he kind of, kind of been right, on right, set. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're right. Um, and one last fact about the casting and one last fact about the characters in this movie. Uh, this is the first time on screen that we get the first name of Barbosa, which is Hector. Yes. <laughs> and true. the do you know where this came from? No, I don't. So it, w- it comes from the commentary of the first Pirates film where Johnny Depp is on one of the commentary tracks and he's just fooling around and jokingly calls him Hector. Like as if he's like, that's it. Yeah, that's just his name. And Ali and Rocio had said that they never, they, they, he was always intended to be just Captain Barbosa. They never had conceived a first name for him. But because of the popularity of the film, mega fans of the movie had already kind of, you know, on, on websites and stuff, had already called and named him Hector based on Johnny Depp's joke. So they were just like, okay, well, I guess his name is Hector Barbosa. Which is now. also really funny. I think that's a, that's a funny story. But what's even more funny about it was like there were already mega fans online that were like saying that attached to something obscure about the production yes it's fun probably if i had to cut off anything in our movie time stream maybe i would <laughs> maybe maybe i would not have that one maybe yeah, that one didn't kind of tr- uh, age well yeah cut off having that <laughs> cut off that branch of the timeline <laughs> but that is funny yeah i do remember because I remember it was like it goes by so quick in the movie that even when I first saw the movie, you do you it does click with you that like oh I guess that's his first name but yeah it, it's like you almost think nothing of it afterwards. Yeah. So with that, it's basically time to talk about the the shooting of this movie. Dead Man's Chest shot until March first, two thousand six. Uh, they took a you know a couple months break. You know they filmed a lot of the movie during that time period. Uh, and came back on August 3rd, 2006 to kind of get the last new sequences that they needed to get. So essentially, like I said, everything that was filmed on um, everything that had to take place in the Caribbean or kind of on the sea over there, everything that they were shooting on sets for Dead Man's Chest that also took place in at World's End, 
essentially were filmed at the same time with a few little pickup shots and a few little scenes here and there to kind of, to kind of, you know, tie it all together. But for the actual shooting of at world's end, everything was filmed basically in California with a few scenes shot uh, in Hawaii. So filming begins actually on August 3rd, 2006 on the Bonneville salt flats in Utah, which works as the, uh, J.V. Jones' locker portion of the movie. They uh, shot that specifically there, again, just for the, the distinct visual uniqueness uh, and also for kind of that, that monochromatic kind of color of, of, of the salt flats really kind of was different than the sort of the colorful nature that the rest of these films had to really showcase sort of the, the, uh, the, the, the loneliness of J.V. Jones' locker, which, of course, we will... Uh, discuss in the movie the shooting there went very smooth they originally scheduled uh, 17 days of shooting there but they basically finished everything they needed in about four or five uh, it was it was a very very fast shoot very easy shoot uh, again this is this crew was already kind of considering this they had that kind of five you know five-ish four-ish month break um, but essentially this was long big shoot so the, the crew was already kind of in the rhythm of everything by that point um, around this time as well they also shoot again we talked about the Singapore set which is built on the Universal Studios backlot it was you know 40 structures within a 80 by 130 foot kind of tank area that stood above water uh, as I mentioned Chow Young Fat had some some influence on the set uh, the main idea in terms of the set was twofold the actual the actual visual look of 18th century Singapore is actually not very well documented even within China's own history. So uh, the production crew really took sort of um, an expressionistic uh, style that they just kind of based it both on their imagination and based on sort of other Chinese and Malaysian cities from the same period that had, you know, that were more well documented. Uh, but Singapore was though a major port, really not no, no, like really paintings or pictures or anything of that nature. Uh, the other thing that I've heard Gore talk about numerous times in terms of the set is he was very influenced by spa culture in terms of the, the set itself. Uh, he wanted steam to be coming up from all angles. He let fungi grow throughout the set. Um, the, the floorboards were all hand cut and, and placed very specifically. And, and the actors noted that there was a real humidity to the set that was kind of based on both uh, the water and the lighting equipment really created sort of a spa environment that kind of added to the performance. Um, so all that's going to sort of stuff the, the major, major, major filming sequence of this movie is the climactic maelstrom battle that takes place at the end of the movie. Uh, a specific tank. Do you remember was, seeing that in the trailer when this movie came out? Which gives yelling maelstrom. Yeah, yeah, and then I, I like just, they're going around. When yeah. That, when I saw that in the trailer, I was like, what? <laughs> you awesome. could tell they were going for, for bigness, absolute yep. bigness. Uh, so they shot it in a uh, former air hangar in Pal Palmdale, California, uh, built a specific water tank and specific angled ships that they could move around. Um, of course, for a major water sequence, the crew wore their costumes and wore wetsuits under the costumes for protection. Very noted as a tough, that part was a tough shoot because again, you're getting wet, 
it's water, cold, runny, simulating rain and, and tidal waves and everything and, and people getting splashed all over the place. It, it was very distinctly like uh, uh, just a, 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 a tough time, especially when, you know, for many times that they did shoot at actual sea, they actually got very lucky with the weather. So the fact that they had to simulate this very awful weather was very much, you know, well, it wasn't wasn't fun for for a majority of the crew. And then uh, in addition, some other stuff uh, with a second unit was shot also at Niagara Falls, specifically near the waterfalls to kind of simulate, again, big water water coming up and everything like that. The, the visual effects were once again handled by Industrial Light and Magic just coming off their effects win from the last movie. 750 effect shots were done by Industrial Light and Magic, especially many of them relating to, of course, Davy Jones and Calypso, uh, and again, a big amount of him doing during the final battle. Uh, and the undertaking, especially for that final battle, was so big that uh, Industrial Light and Magic... Uh, shared a little bit of that um, effects work with the company Digital Domain uh, just because there was such an undertaking of of everything that had to go into making that work, especially with the more water-based effects, which just like hair is always a tricky subject when you're kind of doing computer-aided generative stuff with water, around water, uh, or simulating water. It's a very tricky subject throughout film history. And so there was a lot of work to be undertook uh, on that especially also because of the shorter nature of this shoot. The movie's supposed to come out for, you know, summer season 2007. The effects team only had five months to really get everything correct and right to do. And as you know, that's a not, uh, for a movie like this, it's uh, not a great amount of time. Not, no. not, the, not the ideal amount of time. No. no. It's funny because, like, I, I, you know, recently, I mean, it always comes up in film conversation, everybody talking about, like, you know, reshoots and everything and, and stuff. But, you know, it's funny because every time I hear about, like, reshoots, I'm like, that's it? That's all they're going to reshoot or that's all they're going to redo? But recently, actually, more appropriately, I just remembered that next, this month, this coming month, we're going to get a Matrix film. And I just saw a, I saw the look on, if you saw the look on Nick's face, he just remembered too. Uh <laughs> He's like, so we're getting a Matrix film that they were shooting at, at, at a portion of it during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic last year. So that means like they just finished it last year and it's coming out this year. And I guarantee as somebody who's been in post-production, like it's not enough time. <laughs> never enough time. No, it's that, not. That's the real, that's the real secret of film. There's no. never... There's never no, there's enough never time. enough time. Like maybe two years is a adequate amount of time. <laughs> but if you like, it's funny because yeah, it's just like you work five months. It's a lot. I don't, I don't think people realize like, yeah. and I can only imagine the further and further you go back that it only becomes more difficult to do. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, that's basically wraps up the filming. The one last thing I do want to mention, because I think there's some funny details in this as well, is Hans Zimmer's return to do the score for this film. Uh, Zimmer had his plate full at this time. He was simultaneously writing the movie, the music for this movie and doing the score for the Simpsons movie at the same time, which is, again, a very different dynamic. 
Uh, Zimmer was always happy to come back to these films. Now he specifically with this film wanted to create a whole bevy of new themes. He creates the, what he called the at world's end love theme uh, that kind of plays at various points throughout the movie in terms of relating to different characters uh, as well as the, the up is down song, which what Zimmer was very, which was, was very proud of. Uh, but one thing that Zimmer noted with this movie is he worked really hand in hand with gore to really get some of the score corrected and make it again, suitably epic and right. Uh, and, and nice, you know, for both of them specifically on two fronts, a Zimmer and uh, Verbinski wrote the, the song, the kind of the call of the brethren court song, the hoist the colors. Mm-hmm. They wrote that together. Gore kind of wrote the lyrics. Zimmer kind of wrote the, the, the score itself. But most notably, a fact that I was very happy and tickled to learn is in the infamous parlay score, the one with the very distinct guitar riff, it is Gore Verbinski himself who is playing that guitar. Yeah, that makes sense. That uh, makes sense. Uh, which, again, that, that's always, and I, I guess like, we're about to lead up into discussing the movie. That's always been a piece of the score that, even from moment one of watching this movie, just, just makes me laugh and kind of it gives me just a, a, a happy feeling of just like something that sort of out of nowhere, sort of this very distinct guitar sound comes in. I'm happy that it was Gore himself to, that decided to play that on the soundtrack. Always something I've enjoyed. And yeah, so like I said, like very much the back-to-back nature of the suit, just uh, shoot, made this very simple in terms of discussing. Obviously, it was a very tough shoot and an easy shoot on many different fronts. But this was sort of the plan going in and, and it was going to be back-to-back year releases. Of course, we had Dead Man's Chest releasing in 2006 and uh, At World's End was, was scheduled to release the next year uh in 2007 all right and i got nothing yeah no i I got i really got nothing else so without further ado let's wrap up this trilogy let's talk about the end of again the good pirates movies uh and talking about at world's end gathering i'm pointing my ship the other way the pirates are gathering to fight beckett and you're a pirate fight or not you're not running jack if we don't stand together they'll hunt us down one by one to the none left but you quite like the sound of that captain jack sparrow the last pirate aye and you'll be fighting jones alone but how does that figure into your plan i'm still working on that but i will not be going back to the log Sorry. 
effective though. All right, Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. Another rather, you know, nostalgic watch uh, for me. Not, not as, I don't think as much. I think, again, I, I hold Dead Man's Chest in such a high kind of nostalgic regard just because of it, it, you know, again, reflecting how important it was to putting me on the path that I am of, of being so interested in movies and the production of movies and, and everything of that nature. Um, to the point where I forgot that I mentioned this last week, I have a signed copy of the Dead Man's Chest script that I got for for Christmas one year, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, but this one too was, again, it was the, the hype of me, like seeing that first one and, and, and getting into the, the seeing dead man's chest and then going back and watching uh, curse of the black pearl. And then sort of like when the trailer dropped and, and again, like we we're talking about, we talked about this in the kind of the King Kong episode, uh, the King Kong 2005 episode, but like going back and watching like the trailer on like iTunes trailers and, and Apple trailers or whatever. And, 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 and sort of, waiting for it and rewatching it and and kind of getting into it i I remember very distinctly being like super excited for for this film and visiting it again and it's really been a good while since i've watched i've watched curse of the black pearl rot but even like these two movies it's been a while since i've really watched all three of them in a row uh i had a really fun time watching uh at world's end and I don't know if this is a hot take or or whatnot. I know I know various there's various opinions on on both of these films. I wait came before up- you before you say that I have a hot take. You sure. can't have hot. There, there's no such thing as hot takes anymore. Fair. Actually, you know at, what? That's like, fair. At this point, everybody has had every opinion on anything that's been out for a couple years. At this point. <laughs> You know what? There's no, that there's that no. is <laughs> that is a very good point. We're we're in a world, uh, uh, like you can't really, yeah, you know, not if, not to say this is what you're doing because this isn't what you were doing. But most people who want to have a hot take are doing it to be performative. Yeah, they just want to. They they're drawing attention to an opinion that's really not all that. You know, that's yeah. my take. That's my hot take on hot. Yeah, it, it's like it's like when you see that tweet where it's like, does anybody else feel this way? And they're like definitely at yeah, least it's one, like every, one other any hot take you can have it's already been an opinion and most of the time the take you are having is really not that hot of a take yeah uh, <laughs> well i don't again i i i, I, I know I, what you mean that's not what you're yeah. doing i was yeah. just i was just giving my, my thing i was going to say is yeah. that i came away after watching this movie saying that i think i like this movie better than dead man's chest and i think i enjoyed watching it more than dead man's chest and i think oh, there yeah, are maybe. yeah there's there's very specific stuff with some of the character work and some of the um you know the the decisions uh and sort of the action and I feel like I feel like there's some prime uh Jack stuff I actually feel like Jack as a character is is kind of more back to form than he was in Dead Man's Chest I think there's there's some really fun stuff they do with that character I I think the final battle it, it, it's is really just uh, there's just an epic nature that's just hard not to, to enjoy and get into, and it really just wraps up this this original trilogy as something that I find still very enjoyable. Yes, I think the first film is is still that perfect height, and I think there are things both about Dead Man's Chest and At World's End that you can definitely discuss as sort of questionable choices or things that don't necessarily still work or worked at the time, but. Uh, overall, I think this trilogy is is just so much fun to enjoy, and I I really do like watching, at the very least, like watching all three of these movies. It should be it should be said that what's super interesting about this movie at the time is that um, 
we are now accustomed or have since been accustomed to the big trilogy and then now we are very much accustomed to the big overarching franchise now in terms mm-hmm. of like a continuity going on but i do remember that at the time because we necessarily weren't then grow up with we weren't there in the way that we weren't there in the same way for like star wars like right? the, yeah the original trilogy yeah. yes yeah and so i think that you know and then you could probably still throw in with the prequel trilogy a little bit to this but at least for me like dead man's chess or not uh at world's end was not only like the third movie in a trilogy it was the third movie in a trilogy that was like completing an overarching like it was like a definitive like it's all come to this it's all like everything you have seen before is like culminating in one big epic conclusion of the third movie in a trilogy because even with all the trilogies we were getting whether it be x-men spider-man whatever it didn't really have that it was just kind of like it's just the third movie in the series. Yeah, the, the like, closest, like the, again, the closest, the closest you had was something like Lord of the Rings, but also there was the fact there that there was Lord that, of the Rings. I should mention that right, too. There was yeah. Lord of the Rings, but I, I think it's also the one thing about it too is that the Lord of the Rings, at the very least, you had the knowledge of like the books have existed for so many years, That's so you kind of, yeah. you kind of knew that it was leading to that. Even like they, again, Jackson does a great job mm-hmm. of making that feel big and epic and 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 a, and a grand achievement. But there was still that thing where it's like in, in that Star Wars comparison, it was very distinct that this was sort of a, a still, even though it was based on this, this Disney ride, it was still like an original story and a, an original trilogy that like you kind of didn't know what the ending was. You didn't know where it was going to end up, where these characters were going to be. And that sort of was sort of the exciting part of it, too. Well, yeah, that I we mean, had these original characters that you had been following for two movies that were kind of seeing the end of their journey. Yeah, I guess you are right in, in, in that pointing out that, like, the buy-in to Lord of the Rings and even the Star Wars prequel trilogy is that you knew you were watching a movie that was taking place over three films, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, and then, but with, like, Pirates, you really did, at least I did, you just felt that you watched this small kind of, like, well, small, quote-unquote, you watched this, like, small kind of, like, pirate seafaring tale, and then now you're you have been sitting with it turn into something new essentially yeah we talked about it, it yeah. was like a, it was a film that nobody the first film but a film that nobody expected to be good or successful suddenly turn into one of the biggest franchises on the planet like right. among the top you know recognizable with recognizable characters and a, and a recognizable theme and, and and that people you know were going to be excited about and 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 right again these movies like and dead man says we talked about last time was one of those very first films hit that worldwide 1 billion mark mm-hmm. it, it was amongst the all-time you know most seen you know or most you know money-making movies ever so we were at a point where sort of a, a true film it, it really is sort of in a sense like a star wars type story in the same way that star wars <laughs> oh, yeah. no nobody expected like star wars to be what it is and it became like this this iconic oh, it has thing. way it, ha- it really does have that similarity to star wars in that yeah. way where it, it's very and, something so- very interesting yeah so and so getting to the actual movie itself because you know i'm with you and we have talked about with this original trilogy of pirates films that we have a very soft you know spot in our heart for these first three movies and what was interesting about it i I just watched it a couple hours ago just so i can be as fresh as possible but frankly speaking i have seen these movies quite a bit like i i've like i'm 
very familiar with these first three films. Um, and what's super interesting about it, like the conversation we're going to have is going to be interesting because the best I can summarize it is that much of it is very much indicative of not only where this franchise is going to go, but where a lot of movies like this are going to go. Now that includes great things and that includes less than desirable things. And all that said, I kind of find myself in the camp that I'm actually glad that it ushered more kind of movies like this. Like, I mean, in some ways, this usher, this, uh, this was a unintended, uh, you know how people say like, okay, like there were movies that really did start a craze. So like, you know, like Spider-Man was like the thing that really started the superhero craze. Mm-hmm. But, you know, X-Men and Blade were still kind of first, and you go back to them and you're like, okay, like, this is actually planting some of the seeds for, like, where this is going to go. I feel like At World's End almost plants those seeds. They're not watered yet, but plants the seeds of just, like, this big, epic blockbuster filmmaking that they're going to make. Like, in the sense that, like, they're not just going to make a blockbuster that's big for the sake of being big. They make a blockbuster that has some sort of, like, continuity behind it and has some sort of lore behind it and it doesn't always pay off i agree but i i almost i i like that i don't feel like we necessarily had that before this movie Mm -hmm. i don't i don't feel like i think that this this film takes its place to move us in a direction where yeah, like, you know, we do kind of, like, there is some value in the continuity of the previous films before it, and, you know, not, we don't necessarily always just want, like, just a random sequel after another, like, we do like each sequel to build upon each other and everything, and, and, you know, and and then there is a sense of, like, you can take some criticism, and, and I think, and some of that is even deserved in this film, um, because I, I have some big gripes with the movie, um, I think it's a movie that, especially upon this rewatch, is it's a it, it, it if you really bring it down to its bare parts, it, it it is kind of it's a little bit of a meandering mess for a good amount of it, but man, does it coalesce into just an entertaining thrill ride at the end yeah like it's like because even like i was thinking like i don't know like is this as good do i enjoy this as much as i remember but then you get into like the third act and you know and it's not just like oh the third act is cool and like you know we'll give it a pass like that third act is so fun yeah like it it, really is it really is and it does not work if you don't do any of the other if it wasn't for like the previous two and a half movies now and we'll get into like the merits and the pros and cons of it being that way but i mean i i found myself like i mean it it ends really strong um it's just a sweeping epic of a film um the maelstrom fight is is awesome and it really is a movie where i think gore verbinski is right in that it does if it wasn't for these actors playing these characters it would just it, it would no pun intended just sink like like it would just sink into the. And ocean. I, I 100% agree. And I think that's where my full enjoyment, I do agree with you that I really think a lot of the goodwill that I feel towards this movie is kind of that third act and, and oh, the yeah, big yeah. battle at the end and how it all culminates and, and, and how all the storylines kind of cross over 
that stuff, it, it, it's just such impressive. Again, still very impressive filmmaking, very well put together with the Zimmer score and the effects and the characters and the fighting. I, 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 have, a, I have a thought exercise for you. Take Barbosa out of the movie. Ta- or movie not, is- not, not, not even take Barbosa. Take Jeffrey Rush's Barbosa out of the movie. That first, what, half hour? Yeah. 45 minutes of the movie would be rough. Yes, I, I actually, <laughs> I, I agree 100%. That was actually going to be one of the first things I mentioned, too. It He's is so su- good. It's such a treat to have him back. He's like you so really, good. You really don't know how much you miss that character until he's back. And it's just, he's back to having the time of his life. His stuff in, in that Singapore sequence, gold. Absolute gold every single part of the way. I, I, just like the little moments, like, I, I want to get to other stuff, like, before. I want to get to one other thing before, but just a moment where, where Elizabeth Swan, they're like searching her for weapons and she's taking out everything like that she has. She has like, you know, things in her boots and her, in her hat, everything. Right. And right, at right. one point they're like, you know, there's, I know there's more. And like, she's like reaching behind her and like Barbosa just kind of like looks of like, where did that come from? Yeah, and then yeah. like, and then like, and then like returns to like, just like, it's just it's such subtle stuff that he does. It's so he, much fun. He is really good in this movie. And there's a lot of, in a movie that really is like force feeding you a lot. Mm-hmm. He, there is, there are some really, you can, you can tell it's a combination of Verbinski, the writers really, you can tell which characters they love more. <laughs> I don't know how else to say. So they give like certain actors a little bit like more nuance to chew on, but there are a lot of moments in this movie where um Jeffrey Rush's performance and his little kind of facial expressions and his reactions to things and asides like kind of telegraph something but in a very nuanced subtle way. So like for like you know skipping ahead later just as a brief example like there's a moment where they do this whole plot line with the goddess Calypso and you can tell in the, the essentially the text of the scene is that Barbosa is offering this, like, this is his plan. Like, he's like, well, what about the goddess Calypso? Like he's earnestly doing that. And then Chow Yun Fat's character looks at Elizabeth thinking that's it. And then like Jeffrey Rush does this little performance where he looks at Elizabeth and then he looks back and you can tell in his eyes that he was like, all right, I'm, pitching this plan and he's like oh wait he actually thinks i mean this person uh, okay i'll go with it go yeah with it. Like, and he's just so good and he and and just can take it from that one to ten and and, and in some ways and i don't think that the that the jack sparrow character has jumped the shark yet i don't think he's jumped the ship no like i said i, I but think, yeah but bar um Jeffrey Rush's Barbosa it just remains consistently excellent throughout these two films. And it's just like, without him, not only that I'm like, you're right, I'm like, fuck, I missed this guy in the last movie. Yeah. And then it's like, and he's just incredible he, in this one. He, he just brings, like, the character brings an energy and, like, the way that the character is written that he has some sort of swagger bring. Like, you can tell he has some sort of swagger bringing being back from the dead and and sort of, like, he has that element of him you know, surrounding his character that he he survived death and he is kind of out to, to save the world, but he has his own way of doing it. And he just brings energy, not just to every scene, but to every performer when they're on screen with him. 
Uh, especially once we do get the stuff with him and Jack a little bit later in the movie, there's some really fun stuff. Before we move on, before we talk about the, the Shanghai sequence in earnest, I really did forget how like this movie opens with just, Oh yeah. With mass hangings it's and like basically like, an ending. like all, all like all law just being like all fair trials. You're just like fair trial su- suspended rate of Harry's corpus suspended. Like, you're you're if you're a pirate, you're gonna get hanged. There's there's nothing well, to I mean, it. There there is a lot. They do this a lot in the movie, and I and I don't know if this is one of my complaints, but they do it a lot. Where this is the movie where they finally make certain characters do things, so you can like finally be like, okay, that guy is like a real villain. Mm-hmm. Because I think like one of the things we said, and then it was it was understandable for the last movie, but I don't think you really get how bad Cutler Beckett is. Yeah, how ruthless he can be, yeah. Right, and then, like, the fact that we're opening this up with mass hangings. Um, And and I actually think it's cleverly done because that was the subtext of everything going on in the last movie. So it was kind of like, hey, remember remember the, the fantasy flying Dutchman adventure you were having and there was, like, this kind of, like, bureaucrat guy who was trying to get involved in it and who cares about him? Oh, actually... Yeah, this guy is bad news. Right, and, and, and you're right. I think it does actually lead very much into like sort of what what people like Jack were trying to avoid with Beckett, you know, mm-hmm. and sort of that like why it was so important that he didn't get the heart of Davy Jones, which he he owns. It's actually it, it's actually admirable how if you take it as three films, how subtextual all that is up until this film, and mm-hmm. then like this is the payoff for it. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, because we go from that and they, the the hoist the color song, which is you know the 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 showcase of the the brethren court being called and, and sort of the last out of the pirates we cut to sort of the, the singapore sequence where that is what seemingly is is happening that uh, barbosa and you know we see mostly barbosa and elizabeth sort of on this mission to meet the the pirate lord uh xiao fang which mm. of course our xiao young fat and the, the idea is they're going to convince him that it's time to call the pirate council the brethren court together to you know figure out what they're going to do about you know cutler beckett's you know ruling of the seas uh and with with that to find jack because jack is one of the pirate lords one of the one of the members of the brethren court and of course he is stuck in davy jones's locker and it's xiao fang that has the alleged map that could take him to that point in 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 the world sorry i'm laughing because i just made a realization did it ever did it ever occur to you that this is just like this is just the beginning of Return of the Jedi just done a fraction of the time? <laughs> Cuz it is like they go and then they're like we're going to infiltrate but we already had another guy infiltrate so now we kind of have to rescue that guy. <laughs> We have, but we have to also get this other yeah. information too. Like I just I just thought about that. Um you know what's interesting is that there's a, there's a few things in this scene, and I'll start off with a positive. One is that I really do like Chow Yun-Fat. I, I think that it's like a fun new character that they're adding to the, to the proceedings. I, I, I think that's really cool. I think that everybody gets like a really fun introduction back. I think that they're, you know, bringing in like, all right, Elizabeth is now being a badass. Barbosa's being Barbosa. They have the, fu- and then all the other side crew, which by the way, I've, 
love when a franchise, a trilogy, anything maintains its characters throughout the thing. So the fact that we're at the third movie and it's still the same like five or six knuckleheads with like Gibbs, Pinto and Rigetti, the little guy. Uh, Cotton. Cotton. Yeah, it's like all, all of them. Cotton's well, parrot. You can't forget yeah, Cotton's, Cotton's parrot. parrot. Cotton parrot and Jack, the, the monkey, oh. they have their little thing going on. I like, I love it. Absolutely love it. That being it said, really, it, I want to say, it really gets you attached to them too because yes. you've, seen, you've seen them and you know all their little quirks and how they interact with each other. Well, and- you know, but but here's a, but this is why it's important because you know I, I think a lot and we see this a lot with like a lot of modern franchises, especially like maybe like the Marvel franchise and stuff, where I, I think people sometimes undervalue just your connection just with the characters from spending time with them and from like seeing them in other adventures and sometimes we get like really too caught up in the minutiae of like yeah but do it, does it like work like like here and now and and that is important but you, you can't throw away the fact that like you have fallen in love with these characters like in these all these other movies so like even just like little gags of them like sneaking under the thing i love the gag of like they all have like the coconuts on their head and then i can't i can never remember which one is pinto and rigetti but like the the bald one he comes he doesn't have the thing on his head just like so you get that classic little um pirates humor in there so you're right i mean it's just by this point and the fact that going back to what you were saying like you know the parrot you know Jack the monkey, like and the fact that now they're getting together. It's it's fun. It's just fun stuff. So I want to say Pintel is the bald one. Rigetti is the tall one. Right. Okay. So like that little gag where like they're all wearing the coconuts and Pintel comes up and he's just bald. Yeah. Great. Love it. Um. So yeah. So they do. They go through all all, all that business. Now here in the Chaoyun fat scene is where I can start you know, some of my own little nitpicks of the film start starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, they go into the steam room and there's a bunch of guys in, in the steam room who have fungus growing off of their head. Why? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like that, that's, that, that's again, that's just, that's gore. I can tell you that much. That, that strikes me as like, and maybe this is like an example of like the more and more these movies go on and the more and more director gets just control over it, they can just get away with doing their weird things. And it, it always struck me as like a weird thing. Mm-hmm. Like in the only reason I'm pointing it out because I don't mind a weird thing, but the only reason I'm pointing it out because it's like, you know, the, the, the Pirates films up until that point didn't necessarily have that i guess like the weird thing would be the characters that are like supernatural things like otherwise it is a real world so i I never from the moment i saw the movie i never understood the people with funguses growing out of their face or fungi growing out of their face so like that that's that's a minor point but here's the bigger point for me and this is kind of a microcosm of what the rest of the movie is going through so they spend the whole scene being like hey it's like uh we're here in singapore because we're looking for a map for the end of the world because cutler beckett is killing everybody and by the way here's a magic coin that you can hear a song through and where there's also a pirate court that you need that we need to do it and hey we need to get jack because he's one of the nine pirate lords i'm like holy wait wait what what is all this stuff like and then it I guess I'll just lay it bare what my criticism of the movie is. 
the movie suffers from a feature long version of third act reveal. Like I, so I have a very, I'm very sensitive to a third act reveal. We've, because, you know, we, we've discussed this yeah. many times and yeah. we'll, yeah, I mean, there's uh, there's times we can discuss it on, on, on the pod, but a, like a good, a good twist is a good twist. I'm not saying that, but I do think that one of the things you have to be careful about with a third act reveal is that a third act reveal also does um, run the risk of being like, okay, well, you kind of did this third act reveal for a twist or that you're undercutting you're undercutting like the useful time that you could have been spending else elsewhere in the film. Mm-hmm. So I find myself a lot of the time thinking like there's nothing fundamentally wrong with story wise where this goes. I do find myself thinking like, I feel like a lot of this material would come off a little bit more organically if we planted this in an earlier movie. Like, yeah, if, if maybe like, all this business with, and I know this is skipping ahead, but with all this business of Calypso was like over the course of two films, or if like we knew just some of this other stuff, because there is a sense of like, like the mission is completely different than what you thought that the cliffhanger was at the end of the last film. Yes, and it's and, true. And there is and there is precedent like that they they did I'm not saying it's completely out of nowhere they just kind of kept it more subtextual and now it's textual but it, it is kind of like I, too often than not do I feel like there's just these huge big last minute swings thrown in this film yeah and that, that that's kind of my general issue with the movie yeah I mean I, I, we'll, we will definitely talk more deeply about the Calypso stuff but the Calypso stuff is a good. Oh, that's like the big problem. Well, that's because the problem with but, the, the but that's the, yeah. that's the exact thing you're talking about. Where in the last movie they do do some very subtle hints at where the character is going to go. Like yeah, they but do you the, would, like, no, but you would not know. That's my problem. No, no, like, but that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. That's where they're going with that, it. That's what <laughs> that's but that's exactly what I'm saying. Is like right. Oh, they did have an idea, and there are some like very subtle things where you won't really realize it until you rewatch Dead Man's Chest, and you said, oh, like that's kind of a, a hint at what's to come. But the fact that, like, you kind of... It's the fact that you did know these are two movies, you know, writing at the same time. You could have had a little bit more of the crossover between them, even if it's a little bits of just, like, the lore of the Brethren Court and the Pirate Lords and Calypso and stuff. Stuff that would have been served to do well in an earlier earlier film. Well, I think in what, what makes it harder to swallow is, like, it really is all done. Not the Calypso thing, but, like, they just kind of casually introduce, like, if you were to get, like, it, the the last movie sets up a scenario where it's like, we need to, there's other stuff going on, and we will probably need to deal with that, but our mission right now is we need to get Jack back. Like, that. That that's the mission. When this movie starts, it's like, Cutler Beckett is doing a mass genocide. We need to get him because he's like one of our pirate court people. Like, and you're like, whoa, 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 wait, where, where did that come from? <laughs> like, it's like, wait, there's a pirate court and it's all done just kind of like in two or three lines of dialogue. And I'm like, it, it, it's a lot. It, it's it a is. lot to take in in a very short amount of time. And it's setting the tone for the film. It's not my favorite. And honestly, and the reason I kind of come back to liking it is because of the characters. Like the like like listen, I think all this is nonsense, but like 
I take it seriously because Jeffrey Rush is telling it to me as Barbosa. It it, it, it is a film that, like I said, I came away like liking it more, but I also think it is a film that does get better the more you get into it. And I think that as as, as these characters go through their trials and all the kind of, you know, different interactions that they have. And again, it is like, you know, these characters that we have seen, we've seen them grow and change over these films, you know, mm-hmm. specifically, very specifically Elizabeth, mm-hmm. you know, and her, where her character goes. There's just an enjoyment of seeing these characters and, and that you like these characters. And and it really is, like you, like you said earlier, the fact that we do still get, you know, all the side pirate characters, you know, are, are there. We get some fun, you know, a few fun appearances from other characters from the first film. Those there are some characters that do get the real shaft, I feel like, but that's neither here nor there. But back to Shanghai, like, again, I do like the gag of Elizabeth hiding all the weapons and like having all of her stuff just like out of nowhere, mm-hmm. you know, will getting yeah, captured. And and the action sequence in this, again, it's just like this. Yes, it's original. It's actually dope. The, this original trilogy of pirates films. The one thing that's consistent is the action beats are all very fun. Like, they're all still very fun to watch. And this whole Shanghai bit where eventually there's, like, there's a nice bit where, they're, again, they're doing the negotiations. They captured Will, who was trying to sneak into the temple to get the map or whatever. But then, like, again, they're kind of at an impasse still. They're trying to make a deal. And then uh, Xiao Feng, like, grabs a guy, like, gra- grabs what you think is one of his men's, like, don't move or I'll kill him. And it's like, that's not our man. Or both is like, we don't know that guy. It's like, but I don't know this guy. So if he's No, not- no, I, 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 I love it because he's, like, because um, it's clear, like, uh, Xiao Feng, like, knows that's, like, a spy. So he's like, drop your weapons or I'll kill him. <laughs> and like, kill him. He's not our man. <laughs> I'm like, that's a classic pirate-ism. Uh, yeah. like, and then uh, it's, it's, it. we yeah. figure out that it's one of well, Cutler Beckett's men, mm-hmm. sort of like the, the Royal Army slash Cutler Beckett's people come in. Big kind of hullabaloo with everything. We're like, hey, they grabbed the map. They're going to wage. They're, they're trying to fend off. The 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 dudes, uh, the Cutler Beckett dudes are trying to fend off Shang Feng's guys are trying to escape just chaos, but fun, organized chaos. Fireworks get involved. There's like big explosions. There's people getting killed. It, it's it's just fun. It's fun to enjoy. No, it's a, it's a, it's a good it, it's just a good kind of like practical set piece. And, and, and it works and, and it, it's super fun. The uh, and and throughout the movie, and this is like the strength of these original films, like the way in which they weave in the fun, silly humor with the care, like the fact that like Jack the Monkey like sets off like the cannon, and yes, then, like sets off, and then even Bar- and Barbosa doing like the thank you, Jack. Yes. <laughs> it's like love it. But then like again, like when they're like when they're when it's like going to the thing where all the fireworks are about to be set off, and everybody's like watching it like happen. That's always fun too. Yeah. Like it's just it's just good. It's good stuff. It really is. No, it's good. So and, and like, that's what makes these movies still very enjoyable to watch. Is you mm-hmm. do get those 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 fun action beats. You get the fun humor, and then like it, I think that's why I definitely still enjoy these three, and I still enjoy this one. Is that even in the questionable parts? And I, and I agree with you. You know, there are some very questionable decisions and, and parts that we will you know get deeper into, but throughout it you still get the moments of humor you still get the fun action that pop up just enough that you're like yeah this is why i love these movies that's why i love enjoying these it's just fun yeah um and then it all coalesces into like and and the other thing too is like it's also revealing that 
the classic thing that we picked up from Dead Man's Chest is everybody's got their different motivations and everybody's got their different plans and like and you, and then uh, Will has an aside with Xiao Fang about like you know he like it, you know he has his own motivations because they're picking up this whole thing he wants to he wants to reconnect with his father like so he's trying to make all this work out that he can get his father back so he's like all right well you can trust me and he, he basically makes a deal that allows uh, yeah. him to get the charts for the end of the world and to get a ship and a crew and everything and and then off we are with the rest of the film right yes yeah. so uh, at this point we're we also get uh, a bit of an update on what's going on in the davy jones world yeah uh, we get our villain update what's going on with them where by the uh, way color beckett's right hand man mercer i hate him I know we talked about this last time. I hate did did I talk about it last time? Yeah, I, I hate him. F- fine actor, he's doing what he needs to do. Yeah. But I was glad when he died. <laughs> I hate his face. I do like that that other assistant, like Royal Navy guy, comes back too, though the one from the the first movie that like was Norrington's yes! assistant. I, I, I was I was thinking about that because he does the whole like the, he kind of has like this little man crush on Jack Sparrow. I was like, that's awesome that he showed back up. I hope he lived. I hope he got out of the off of that boat. And yeah, died. he was the well. He's the first one to abandon ship. So I yeah. hope that I hope uh, that he got off. But yeah, that one bit later where he's like, the, like he he does like kind of like revere Jack to an extent. He's like, really... what, he's like, do you think that he just plans it or makes it up as he goes along? Like, like that guy is awesome yeah i love, I, I love that he showed up again i love that yeah. he's kind of in the background of all these scenes but i mean there, there, there's a good level of really subtle payoffs and returns and everything that i do have to give the movie a lot of credit for yeah. because they were nice to see these little things like oh yeah like it's like that they that they called back to that in 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 the first one like a good callback is just awesome i don't mm-hmm. care what anybody says yeah like you know like oh this little thing that the character even vaguely learned about in the first one is helping them out in this thing is it a fan servicey moment yes because fan service is good that's my hot take <laughs> that's a good that's a good hot take yep uh but basically we we just said that hey cutler Beckett's in control of the heart and just he kind of is holding it over over jones to like have him do his dirty work uh, and is essentially sort of make back. is just making his moves to take total control of the sea. That's, that's where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially it, he has like an undead ship. Yeah. That he disposal. could just do whatever so, he wants to. It, it, so. It's really turning the tides of what he's able to do. Yeah. Literally and figuratively. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And then, uh, and then and through this, we're getting a uh, catch up with, so, with um norrington norrington's and, back uh, like as i like, kind of uh back in his old role uh and, and a nice again sort of like a nice moment where they bring back the sword you know his sword yeah. from the first movie and sort of the 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 journey that that sword takes oh yeah there's a tragic end to the journey of that sword that yeah. I, like i really picked up this time around yeah but, um, like you know like the sword norrington and then we get jonathan price's character who Jonathan Price gets saddled with a really awkward scene later in this film, but one thing I did love about this scene where you're catching up with everybody mm-hmm. is that just through the the writing, the direction, and the acting of these two, of Jack Davenport and um, um, Jonathan Price's character, yeah, um, like 
they really do sell the fact that like they are caught between a rock and a hard place in this in, in, in this both moment. different ways but yeah. yes yeah both like, different ways even even the way that norrington comes in where he's like oh you called for me sir like you can tell that he's not as this fulfilled quite like the thing that he wanted he's not as fulfilled returning to this life as he thought he would be right and right. there's different circumstances to why that is but he thought that like he had lost everything and he just needed you know the oh, well, there's that one little great moment where he gets the sword and he is momentarily jazzed and then color beckett's like all right so you're gonna get ready to prepare for genocide like that with that and he's like oh man that's yeah. not what i wanted yeah, yeah. So, like I, I think they do a good job with that that's really good mm-hmm yeah, for sure. And I, and I think, again, it's just, uh, it, it, we, we'll talk about it many, many times. It really is the performance of the actors that bring those moments to life mm-hmm. that really showcase the nuances of those characters. Even people like Norrington and, and, and the governor who don't really get that much to do, uh, you know, in this movie, they don't have like a ton of things, but they are able to kind of bring those things to life, you know, as best as they can. Yeah, I I do wonder, I mean, it opens up a good question, because while I could criticize, like, how they tie it up, and and I know, you know, you don't want to give too many passes, but I I think it's better than just, like, not addressing them at all. Oh, no, I I, do like that they all have a place within the story. I I agree, too. I, I, like, if we're just talking about them specifically, like, I, I, I I don't really have that much of, like, uh, like, I don't want to say an issue, because I think like where where the governor ends up in, in his, his his death, which we'll, I think we'll we'll discuss once we get to the world's end part of the movie. You know, I think it's like it's 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 sad and maybe not necessarily you know necessary to drive Elizabeth's character, but still they they do get that nice moment. I think you could have done more with Norrington in this movie, if I'm being honest. I think you could have had him do. I think you could have had him maybe like temporarily like abandoned his sick and maybe he dies during the final battle instead of like you know helping mm. elizabeth escape i think not that i'm saying that like i think again the moment is still nice and like his you know his tragic kind of story and you know he, he does get a little born of redemption but i think it would have been fun to have him like sort of have to like you know hey beck it's gone too far i'm joining the pirates and that's like my like yeah i'm still uncomfortable with this but like this is you know i'm gonna help them make this right and then kind of have his death but I don't know. I, that's how I kind of feel. Uh, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I won't. I won't fight you on that one. I mean, I'm not gonna pretend like you know that they did everything they could with this character. I was just thinking about the Jonathan Price character, and you know, the the one key thing that is interesting is like they did delete a very key scene with that character. Yes, yes, that's it's one a of the really big scene that they got rid of. There's um, there's two very key scenes in this movie. One with Price and one with uh, yeah. with one with Jack and Beckett that that are very famously cut out of the movie yeah um, it, it, the, the scene in general is like they they're on board the flying dutchman and then like and what's his name um i, I keep on forgetting um uh, elizabeth's father like john yeah, price i'm just gonna yeah. call him jonathan price jonathan price gets on board and then well, he, i think he believe he gets wind that davy jones may have oh because he's like i sunk the 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 black pearl and your daughter was on it so you know sucks to suck and then like and then they and then Jonathan Price gets all angry and then he like goes and he like tries to go kill Davy Jones by stabbing the heart and they get rid of all the business of like, if you stab the heart, then you're, which is another piece of information that you're going to have to learn in this movie. If you stab the heart, you're going to have to take his place and then you're going to be a squid man too. Um, which I have some issues with the mechanics of that, but we'll get to that. But it was just like another scene that kind of 
explained why he was a liability and it gave him a little bit more stuff to do emotionally. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was interesting that it was in the movie at one point. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, but before we get to that, so we we catch up. Oh, with- oh by by the way, it, it, this is in the same scene. How good do these guys still look? The Davy oh, Jones awesome, still awesome. Yeah, <laughs> like, especially look again, so good. We're getting we're getting lots of daytime stuff with them. You know, yeah. and they're on their open sea. They're it's it's so much fun to to see them mm-hmm. see them come together. So yeah, uh, and and still see them as a part of the movie again, even though they're not as big a part that they still exist and. And again, like they get to have little moments still. It's just like, the they, like there's just the one scene where they walk onto the Dutchman and it's just all like the actual actors and they're like pointing the guns and then all like the fucking like weird Davy Jones, like CGI characters come out and they look, they really do look good. Yeah. I mean, they, like the fact, like these, like the, the, these movies don't get talked about as like a triumph of motion capture, like VFX, I, I think like it, it's just, it's just top notch stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so we're kind of at that. We kind of get that. But then we also get the Minnesota. They, they have the map. You know, our main crew has the map to, you know, at World's End and, and are, are heading towards uh, that way. And they're, they're, they're going through all their own stuff. They have their own plans. You know, Elizabeth and Will are still kind of at cold shoulders. Everybody gets really cold when they're going through, like, the Arctic area. You know, Pintel and Rick, everybody's like, see, com- no, but see, like, this is like also a thing. Like, so everybody's comically times, frozen. Everybody's comically frozen. But I was going to say, like, because you had just mentioned that little thing about like, oh, Elizabeth and Will are at odds. They haven't talked about that at all over the like over yeah. the past since the, the last movie. Right. They it makes not talked about it. Exactly. It's like it makes sense if they're like going right off the fine jack. But the fact that like time is it's, yeah, time is passed. Right. Like right. very distinctly time is passed. That Okay. That is one of the things about this movie that in retrospect, when you rewatch it, like I like where all the individual characters go and I like a lot of the character relationships, but I don't know in retrospect if they really do. It's one of those things where you, when you watch the actual legwork of where Elizabeth and, and Will go, they never really do a lot to like, you know, showcase their, their at oddsness or where they actually are in their relationship. But again, just like with everything else, it still culminates in, in, in a great moment during yeah. that final battle that you oh, kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. you kind of don't care as much that you don't get the like the whole legwork and all the actual discussion well, that you no, might I need mean, with these two characters. For me, the story that they do ultimately want to tell, which fits into the rest of the pirates' movies, is that everybody has their own baggage that they have to deal with. So, like, their the crux of their emotional journey is like, how are we going to be in a relationship if I have a completely different motivation and and baggage i have to deal with than you and then we're not letting each other in on it so how can we do this so that makes sense to me i i think the awkward hurdle that once the movie overcomes then it you it becomes a little bit easier to hop into is like like as far as he knows like she so the that's the thing in the movie nobody knows what elizabeth did in the last movie right so like he's still thinking like oh I saw her kiss this guy and he misses she misses him maybe right like the fact that that wasn't resolved is a little bit more of a mm-hmm. like a hurdle to overcome and it's like the least interesting thing right and she but, also well I guess yeah. it's like in you know again the the the, the, the text of that the subtext is like they haven't talked about it because Elizabeth doesn't want to reveal that because she's guilty about it 
and she's mm-hmm. guilty that she she let that moment and she became a full pirate which again is kind of her her arc in this movie anyways and 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 she doesn't want to talk about it because then it's a it's a reveal of her guilt and she doesn't know will saw it anyways so it's like he for her for her knowledge she doesn't have that knowledge that they need to talk about it so uh in either case everybody is yes everybody is at their own agenda so you know elizabeth's going to save jack because she feels guilty will needs it because eventually he's going to lead him back to the swan i'm sorry to the swan to his dad and barbosa you know we figure out has his own purposes so wait are you saying that nobody just wants to go get jack because they miss him just a few people few people raise their hands few people raise their hands and definitely gibbs is 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 like part like you know probably doesn't you know want to admit it but likes it too but a few people yeah. did raise their hands in that sequence but we yeah we get the comical coldness patel yeah. and rigetti are, are frozen solid uh calypso is also with them on the ship by the way uh we should mention that she is she is part of, or not well we don't know if she's calypso yet tia dalma is mm-hmm. is on the ship um Naomi yeah. Harris just really, really chewing, chewing it up. Like, yeah. Just, just like there's that moment when because they do the whole like, like oh it's like it's like why can't why can't we just bring him back to back from the dead? He's like because he because he's like because my boss was only dead. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like he is trapped somewhere. Like Jesus, and they kind of do them. They do kind of the direction of it makes fun of a moment like that because they go through the whole thing and then Borghetti's like. Oh, like, I, I guess it was. It's like, see, I told you it must have been for something. But there, there's got to be a that good reason. That character is so funny. Oh, and especially in this movie. Rigetti, all of his little asides are so good. Rigetti is an MVP of this movie. Yes. Uh, all the moments that he has in this are fantastic. No, he, uh, we, it, it's really good. Also, yeah. there's some there's some really nice, beautiful shots during the sequence. Them mm-hmm. weaving through the ice. That moment of like the flat sea where the where the where the where the pearl is like just on a calm sea with just the mm-hmm. flat sky mm-hmm. is really great. One thing I also really love from my Disney nerddom about this sequence is I, I, I can't say the sea, the line specifically in my head right now. It's it's I'm blanking on it. But when they realize they're gonna go off the edge, they're literally about to go off the the world's edge. Mm-hmm. Hashtag flat Earth. Uh, um, not really, Which, no. I, from a fantasy perspective, I actually really have always loved that visual. I love that World's End is actually like an impossible place to get to. And when you get there, it's just like a waterfall into infinity. Like, I, I, I yeah. like that. I like that as a conceit. One of the things I really love about this movie was from a Disney nerd perspective is that Barbosa at one point does a direct quote of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, which ironically was as part of the ride that was originally cut out for the Pirates like overlay when they put Jack and everything. And mm-hmm. it's just recently returned like 2018, I think, which was just one of those things where I kind of always, that was also when I was really getting to Disney. So I kind of always knew the, the, the Johnny Depp, you know, the Jack Sparrow version of pirates more. Cause I didn't go to Disneyland until way after that. And then seeing that original version and then kind of rewatching the movie is like, Oh, actually that's a move. That's a part of the ride that wasn't there. Like when this movie came out. So anyways, that's fun for me. I don't know if it's for you, uh, so but yeah, they, they drop off the edge of the world, um, which also they just throw in just actual direct dialogue from the pirates ride here, which I, I from what I heard is just like they they just wanted to do it because they felt like it was just just something for them to, you know, really acknowledge the original attraction. So yeah, it's, a, was fun, it, it's a fun little like, yeah, like thing. where we don't know what they're doing and yeah. we're reintroduced to Jack right around this point. Um 
having spent a good amount of time in Davy Jones' locker, uh, essentially hallucinating dozens of jacks and controlling them, a very different, you know, aspects of his personality, you know, and him sort of kind of returning to being like a very ruthless captain where he just kind of kills different versions of himself. Um, it's, uh, you know, what's funny, and you'll find this kind of funny in retrospect too. Like this was like, my parents were very impressed when I like, when I was like, a, you know, 2007 me, like, you know, just getting into film and everything, like just in high school, me like broke down, like what all the different jacks meant and what part of the personalities, like I basically told them like a film paper version of that scene. And they're like, yeah, maybe he can go to film school. Like that was literally the reaction. It was like, he can analyze movies. He knows what movies mean. Like, it was just funny kind of in retrospect being like, yeah, like you can take this as the silly scene, but there is like, it's very, I never I, got that. I, I never got, I, I, I just basically kept on doing that until it started paying the bills. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I still haven't made it pay the bills yet. Hopefully someday soon. <laughs> uh, but what I will say about it is the whole thing in Davy Jones's locker, all this stuff with Jack's hallucinations, with the rock crabs, with him licking the rock and turning into a crab, everything here. It's so Elliot and Rocio. Like this just reeks. I mean, you of gotta their... admit, it's a really, really big swing for a movie of this size. And that's exactly what I was about to say. I I've had my in the past, I've had my distinct opinions about the, the Elliot and Rocio model. And it's actually going back, it's one of the distinct reasons why I do want to watch The Lone Ranger and do it for this podcast, because I really want to kind of analyze sort of what really makes an Elliot and Rocio movie an Elliot and Rocio movie, especially as we're going into like this one, these movies and, and pirates uh, four, which they wrote as well. So I kind of want to do that. But one of the things I do, especially now in my kind of more meddled out age where I kind of am a lot less sort of hot and, and critical of, about this stuff to a certain degree, it does take a certain amount of guts to have stuff like this in a movie this big and, and a movie that's wrapping up this trilogy and, and just the, 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 the specifically weird and, and sort of to an extent, just like almost too, too crazy to really work, but it kind of does somehow it, it's a big risk that doesn't always pay off for them. And I think like stuff like the next movie and the Lone Ranger are examples of that. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's just enough here. And again, like a, a, there's actually some meaning to it when you really take it in that, sort of is a good part of sort of that crazy side of the Elliot and Rocio style. Yeah. I, I don't, it is interesting. Cause it, it, I, I can't help but see shades of where this character is going to go with a lot of this stuff. Yes, I agree. But I do have a but, point to that. I do have a point I, to that. I do think the only reason I'm, I'm good with it is because there is actually a lot of good Johnny Depp, like pirates one jack sparrow in this film i 100 percent agree and, and, there's and that, a, that's what that's kind of like what balances it out for me there's a specific moment where that switch flips mm -hmm. and i really like is it when they're on the beach with the kraken actually i kind of i kind of go all the way back to when he figures up the up is down thing because I think oh yeah, yeah that that's good too that's really fun well because like my that. whole thing about it is that the Jack we've seen in Dead Man's Chest up to that point is 
a jack without a direction. That's the whole point of Dead Man's Chest. And part, you know, in here, because Dead Man's Chest, the whole point of Jack in that movie is that he does not know what he wants. He's kind of in a place where he's actually stuck. That like Davy Jones is coming after him. He thinks he wants the chest, but like it, there's no real direction for him at, at, at Dick within his character. He doesn't know what he wants. As soon as the up is down thing happens, and he has that conversation with himself about immortality and taking over the Dutchman, he suddenly has a purpose. He has a goal. His goal is to get on the Dutchman, kill Davy Jones, and become immortal. Become the all-time, you know you know, ruler of the seas, whatever he wants to do, just, just be a nonsense man on the seas and not die. Cause that's his biggest fear. As soon as he has that goal, everything that Jack does has a purpose again. And that's where Jack from pirates one comes in. And that's why I think that this is a return to form to Jack, because there's some really fun stuff after that, once he gets to that moment. And I think it's also a distinct I think it works because there is the distinct, like he's, he's been crazy on the locker. He doesn't believe everybody exists when they come to rescue him. He, he's kind of, you know, t- killing himself and he, he's struggling with his own inner demons about what he's done and where he's ended up. And he's desperate to kind of be back to that, that Jack. And once he gets to that moment where he has a goal and everything he does is singularly focused to that goal, that's where Pirates 1 Jack comes back. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, there's definitely, you're right. I mean, I, I, I agree with all that. I mean, there's definitely a story element that justifies some of the directions they take with the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, the, the up and is down is good because it makes him, it, it makes him like a smart guy. It makes yeah. him like he actually can figure stuff out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, so again, that's just some 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 again, you get the Johnny Depp gets to be a chicken version of himself. He he gets to murder himself, and then we reveal like there's nobody on the ship. He tries to drag the pearl what's with him. We're introduced to the crabs. Um, which uh yeah, and then at one point, you know, again, this is where my film my, again, my 2007 film knowledge is like, oh, the crabs, rep- you know, eventually kind of like the crabs represent how Davy Jones, that's where he still holds like his his love for Calypso, right? He's like pushing away to the locker because the crabs, you know, when they when they help take the ship, the pearl over the sand dude, which is also a very fun moment where they like everybody finally lands on the beach. It's like we were we're ruined now. Like Jack's somewhere here. We got to find him like yada, yada, yada. And then they all just look in the pearls coming up over like the sand dune. That's a fun moment. But then one of the crabs goes back to Tia Dalma and like goes under a dress and disappears. Wonder what that's about. Wonder if there's a bunch of crabs in, in her dress. Who knows? Yeah. We'll, we'll find that out. I wonder if she's just made of a bunch of crabs. She's just, just like, a- <laughs> she's like Oogie Boogie, but just instead of bucks, it's a bunch of crabs. Uh, but this this whole scene is fun too. With oh, when he's fun. like when he's reunited with everybody, but he doesn't believe they he they exist because he's been in the locker. I don't know so why long. it's so funny with me. He's like when he finally sees Barbosa for the first time. He's like he's like yes, the Ila de Muerta. You shot me. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then just moves on. Like, yes, it's so good. And I love it. It's just funny. like the 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 the. the, the it's great to see you like this like, not but that's the thing it's like not even reacting to him being being there he also has a really funny line to tia dalma which what's the line where he's like you had a you had an excellent sense of macabre to any delirium <laughs> like i was like that's good that's good stuff 
He's still and, good. I mean, this yeah. was I, I was worried because I hadn't I actually hadn't seen this one in a, in a little bit, but I was worried like I was gonna like realize like some of that stuff, the uh, more unfavorable things about the character. But like he he actually. And it's actually somewhat more, you're right, more tame than it was in Dead Man's Chest, which I think is very interesting. Because, but um, he seems more like a normal person. It, this it, time made, it really makes the Jack, and to me, it really makes the Jack, the way that Jack was in Dead Man's Chest feel more purposeful because it's yes. kind of almost leading to this. It's kind of like almost that that was kind of planned that way. And it may or may, or may not been, but I think it kind of works absolutely. He also has, of course, the classic line where it's like, three of you have tried to kill me and one of you succeeded. And, you know, that's the revelation that, yes, it was Elizabeth who finally would take, took him to the locker. Um, but eventually they do kind of like get on, get on the Pearl. And it's also get the, the start of the sort of distinct Barbosa and Jack rivalry that kind of permeates throughout some of the humor with that, with the spyglass and them again, great, a great little. That, that was always a great part of this movie is that, you finally got to see what these two are kind of like more as rivals than as enemies. Yes. And like, I, I've always loved that part of this movie. That also classic. Because you knew that they must have had that history before. There must have been some something of this relationship that they had before the whole mutiny before Black Pearl started. Yes. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, I also like the sequence where they're both bellowing orders as captain. And then Pintel just puts his name into the ring. It's just like, I, I thought that we didn't know who the captain was, so I thought I'd I thought I'd give it a shot and then just like slinks off. It's really fun stuff. And then we get to yeah, the up is down sequence was one, you know, very fun Zimmer score. Just again, sort of the 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 nonsensical pirate stuff that works. Just mm -hmm. like the whole idea that they like they have to be back to the world. Oh, well, I'm skipping ahead. We do need to talk about the scene where they see the souls. Um Right, right, right. The, the because... souls and like, you know, the souls on the boats and floating in the water and, and Dalma's like, you know, these because, are supposed to be... Because, audience, I don't know if you knew this, which you didn't, because we're just going to tell you this right now, but, like, apparently, Davy Jones's whole thing was that he was put in charge of the Flying Dutchman because he was supposed... Not only is he just in charge of Davy Jones' locker, he was supposed to be essentially a ferryman of the dead, and he was supposed to use the Flying Dutchman to bring the dead back... Uh, into the afterlife and whatnot and because he ended up being a dick he didn't do that so now some of them are like weird like ghosts from that swim like from hercules and then some of them are other people on boats for some reason so that's an that's i really should be taking a shot for every piece of information that you're yeah. learning about in this movie <laughs> yes uh so they're they're that and then they're going past and of course elizabeth sees her father and thinks that hey we must be back because my father's here amongst all these other people in boats and everybody else you know has to quickly let her know that, like no that's they're not back and that's where we get the this emotional scene where Elizabeth's trying to like you know do anything to save her father but you know her father finally gives her the blessing of like I'm proud of you and proud of who you become and uh you know I'll give give my best word to your mother yeah and that's all good stuff but he does get saddled with the whole like but there was a chest and if you stab the heart like I heard about it <laughs> by the way this may be important. I don't know, but I think I have a plot point for you. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. 
you know, it's a little, it's, it's, it's a little, so, yeah. a little of him. But being... it is funny because they actually did have a scene in there where he did organically learn that. Yes. So it is actually really telling when you, um, when you watch the deleted scenes, like, oh, like that's, that's interesting. Like, yeah. And it's, it's like, you know, Elizabeth again, hardens her up and gives her more reason to, to get her now. Cause again, her purpose was to save Jack. Jack's been saved. And now she has a bigger purpose, which is to, to kill Lord Beckett. I kick his ass. Then we get to the up is down sequence, which I've always loved. I've always loved this. I love the little bit. They have to like, we have to like, you know, get down before sunset and they can't figure out the map. They can't figure out a way back if they're, you know, again, arbitrary rules, but like rules are rules. If they can't get back before what they think is sunset, then they're stuck here. They're trapped here. Or that's their fear. Jack kind of plays with the maps, realizes up is down. It's not sunset, sunrise. And he sort of tricks everybody into like rocking the boat back and forth. Again, with the Zimmer score, with the visual of this boat, everybody, you know, kind of, um, you know, the is boat it, actually yeah, sips upside down. It's great. I just, I've always loved this, even when I first saw the movie. I, I think this is like really good Zimmer in this, in this film, even more so than the last one. I think mm-hmm. this is like some of the strongest stuff that, yeah. that he's done in, the, in this franchise. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. Um, and eventually they do return to the land of the living. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another, I think another classic sort of trailer moment or something that always gets kind of like played w- when talking about this movie is this whole next sequence in which um, everybody draws their guns on each other mm-hmm. and they do the whole thing where they're all like laughing about it, all lowering, like, <laughs> and then they're like, all right, back to business then. I also love that because Pentel and Rigetti they they uh um, they tie themselves up they tie themselves upside down uh because they're like oh when the ship flips over we're gonna be right side up it's gonna be great and then of course they're still upside down when the ship goes up but then when everybody's pulling their gun like everybody's pulling their guns that everybody they're like in the in the ropes and like quick we're getting get the guns get our guns like we gotta, we gotta get our guns out uh so this is where basically everything it comes to a head where all the deals are kind of in you know Maybe not fully revealed, but everybody showcases their full agendas here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the classic pirate betrayal happening to everybody, you know, uh, in this movie on, on a fun, on a lower, on a larger scale than really ever been. I just think what's crazy about this scene is that Jack was just going to shoot Barbosa in the face. <laughs> I always think about that, like, because uh, the joke is, is that they all try to fire at each other, but because their guns were underwater, they don't work. Yeah. But Jack was like, pull, did he pulled the trigger first, right in his face. And even Barbosa's face was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not undead anymore. You can't just do that he to really me. He was just going to shoot him, like, which I think was, which I always think is crazy. Like that, that's, that, that's such a great. That's such a great moment. Um, but yeah, but they um, they do that. And again, they add that little bit of like that pirate's humor where while everybody's talking, there's still that subtle. Everybody's constantly switching a gun to another person. It's yeah. Like, and there's, then, a, course, there's a great I, one where, we're go- where I think like Gibbs just like really quickly just switches to someone else. Oh, the way else it's like timed in the scene is like excellent because you think like it would be like a beat or two after Barbosa walks away and then Gibbs will like turn the gun to him. It's really good. Yeah. And then of course you get at the end where it's like, oh, we can't use our guns. And then like Pinto or is like, wait, we can still use them as clubs. 
But there's kind of like a so eventually where that goes is there's kind of a truce. They need fresh water, they need supplies, and they're they're basically kind of like tenuously like everybody's revealed their gambits to a degree, but everybody's sort of like you know what's going on. Uh, and this is I think what you were talking about earlier, where they come across this beach where the kraken lays dead. Um, and this we do get this kind of really nice little sequence where Jack's kind of reflecting on on what's mm-hmm. happening. And um, yeah, I mean, th- this kind of just reminded me more so of Jack when he's like on the island with Elizabeth and Pirates One, just like it, it like just that reined in Johnny Depp where he actually is being like a real character who has wants and needs. And, you know, they, they you know, because they had this whole conversation of Jack's like, I don't care about any of this. I'll just go on and survive. And, you know, because his whole thing is like because that's kind of his arc in this film it's like it's all about like i just need to make it to the finish line I, and I, I just need right. to survive that's and, and, all and, i need to do right and his whole thing now right is like he'll go on surviving really in the back of his head he's plotting to take over the dutchman and basically guarantee his immortality right uh, so to, to that so but, there, there's, there's a whole bunch of that kind of stuff but then the the conversation that him and barbosa have because you know obviously what they do is and they kind of plant they planted this earlier in the film is that um Cutler Beckett made Davy Jones beat like you know beach the Kraken and thus killing it. So it's kind of like this subtext of like okay, well the whole legend of the pirate world is like dying and now they're actually killing off pirates. Like you know there's there's no you're not going to be able to run anywhere anymore. And then you know it and then uh, I think the back and forth was like I forget the exact actual back and forth, but Jack's line was like well it's still it's like. It's a, he says something like, oh, it's a smaller world. And then Jack's like, well, no, it's still the same world. There's just less in it. And yes. Like, the world, a, yeah. It's like a great the, scene. Great scene. The world hasn't gotten smaller. There's just less in it. Right. Also, I mean, also, yes, it, it's really to showcase like how devious Beckett is and, and sort of like really, again, the, the shortening of the world and the shortening of the lease that Beckett has. It's also a means of like not having the audience question, why isn't Jones just using the Kraken at all? Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. They don't have to animate that anymore. Uh, but eventually, uh, this is again all a betrayal because what ends up happening, the great scene happens, but what ends up happening, uh, Shen Feng and his crew have caught up with the Pearl and basically the true reveals of what Will has showcased and Will has planned has been uh, revealed that he promised, you know, the, the ship and everything. And basically his whole deal is, yeah, his whole purpose is he wants to get to the Dutchman to save his father. So he was going to do anything to to do that. Uh, Barbosa reveals that, like, we have Calypso. And we mentioned that earlier that Shen Feng thinks that uh, Elizabeth is Calypso. So Barbosa has no no worries of giving Elizabeth away. And he still has the real Calypso, uh, who is, of course, Tia Dalma. Yeah, I mean, it's just... <laughs> yeah, this... This begins the most contentious part of this movie for me. Like I, I've always said, like I, I'm not a huge fan of this Calypso plotline. Yeah, um, yeah, but there's others. Like, yeah, I mean, I can think... you just? It's like everything else in the movie kind of like it either is a pay. I guess this is kind of a payoff, but like you know, in you know what would have been the key difference. The key difference to me would be like when they're talking about the legend of Davy Jones in the previous movie, they just kind of make it seem like he was a dude 
who was scorned by some lover and then that's why he was the way it was if they had integrated the whole myth of calypso then and there then the whole calypso being at least something in the mythology of these films would have been set yes because now it's just like like they kind of be like well how are we gonna win he's like what about calypso (laughs) and then and then he's like really and i'm in the theater like what (laughs) what are you talking about it's intrigue well yeah Uh, well this is all yeah yeah this is i don't love it yeah it's all agreements here where like you know will you know gets his his means of getting to beckett and, and getting to jones jack is given you know jack is kind of taken over to beckett ship we get their scene together which is where the other or, you get the sense that these two characters have history, which uh, we would kind of also established in the previous film as well, uh, that, that there's some sort of history and some sort of run in between Sparrow and Beckett. Um, obviously, in the deleted scenes, that's the other major part of the lore deleted scenes that, that exists that we know about was the actual nature of the relationship between Beckett and Jack, which I always found was interesting where uh, the, the lore that they cut out was that Jack had actually worked for Beckett and made agreements with him prior. But when he found out that the, the cargo he was running for Beckett was slaves, he basically sunk the Pearl originally to like prevent that from happening. And that's where all the, you know, eventually making a deal with Jones to raise the Pearl up, which is, it's just interesting history, but I do like the dynamic between the scenes. And again, Jack has that purpose now, and he's even making deals. He's willing to make a deal with the devil with Beckett and, or at least appear to be making that deal with Beckett about, you know, kind of everything that's, you know, all the stuff that he, he actually wants and he actually needs. And there's some fun stuff where it's like, why, uh, like, why can't I use, why, why you just gave me the compass. Like, why can't I just use that to, 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 you know, to get what I want. Right. Like to find the brother in court. And um, Jack's like, because that's not what you want most. The thing you want most is me dead. And he's like, fair play and he just throws the compass back to him i, I love that stuff i love yeah. this stuff and no, this I is mean, a this it, is a good it, conversation it between good. and, and it's, it's good stuff and this is where we get an absolute classic jack escape when he kind of is going back to the pearl and like he he basically fires the cannon like on the ship to basically propel him over um which again gives us the great line of like do you think he makes that up or like you know plans it or makes it up as he goes along and another great jack line where he like everybody thinks that he's like, like flown off and he appears on the deck of the Pearl and everybody's astonished. And he's like all of that without a single drop of rum. Like that's, that's the Jack I love from that first movie. Yeah. Like that whole sequence right there, like very much like that scene with Beckett into the escape is very reminiscent of his conversation with uh, Barbosa when he's trying to negotiate, like, you know, I know whose blood you need, like that whole sequence and with the classic escape and the kind of line, that kind of was like, yes, this is the Jack that I really like to see. This is the Jack who I know and, and, and became like, you know, the, the classic character that like it, it, it has, has permeated pop culture's mind ever since. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this whole section of the film is solid. I think that's the best part of it. I think it gets a little bit too much into the like, everybody's getting betrayed. Because at a certain point, like then it just seems like everybody's an idiot. Like, like to like, to a degree. Like yeah, I think because it's like we it's like Xiao Fang. We thought we could trust you, and you're like, no, I can't trust you because I'm trusting Will. 
And then, hey, Will, by the way, you can't trust me because I'm trusting them. Oh, Xiaofang, you found out that you couldn't trust them. <laughs> so that's it. It's just like, it's, I think it's like too many betrayals in a row of yeah. like, so that that's my only kind of thing about that. Um, but, and, and, you know, and there is, I will admit, like there is a level of this film where, uh, um, you know, I, this kind of happened recently with a film that will go unnamed, but like it, I do see it in a couple other films where oftentimes what happens is like, like the momentum kind of slows down because we're kind of spending the the film in an area of like everybody's just kind of like casually figuring out what to actually do. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not really sure like what is the thing happening in the movie, like what are we trying to like avoid. And I don't, and you know, it's not as severe like that in that movie, but there is a little bit of like, everybody's just kind of like casually talking about like whatever the situation is rather than like an actual forward moving plot. Because at least yeah. like the first portion of the movie was like, we got to get to the Davy Jones locker. Right. And now, and cause it's very much more of the casual, like, okay, well the brethren court now have to convene. Cause that's why we brought Jack back. Meanwhile, Cutler Beckett and his team, are seemingly worried about like what could actually happen when these pirates, you know, come together. Cause he's been kind of like picking them off one by one, but if there is sort of some gambit that they have, you know, that they don't know about, which I think was another great line earlier in the movie. It's like, you know, they, they don't have a weapon that can beat us. And Beckett's like that we know about because he's already known. It's like, well, you know, people didn't know about the heart of Davy Jones. People didn't know about the Dutchman. They could have some other ace up their sleeve. So whatever they're planning, we have to stop it. So that's where like Jack's coming in kind of promising Beckett that he'll tell him where the brethren court is, you know, Barbosa wants the brethren court to get together so he can, you know, showcase his Calypso plans. You know, Will is sort of like, you know, using the brethren court as a gambit so that he can get to his father. That, that is the thing. But the other, the other element of that is there's no timetable, right? It's just like, well, we'll get to the brethren court when we get there. So everybody's just sort of like, kind of like, doing their own little separate thing you know elizabeth gets taken in by xiao fang and like he's about to like have sex with her i guess because she's she's a god in his eyes uh but then he gets killed off you know because he's been betrayed as we as we talked about and his last act we'll get kind of get to each character what they're doing his last act alive is essentially making the person that he still thinks is calypso the new captain of his ship and basically saying like only the Brethren Corps can release Calypso. You can only release yourself now that you're the captain. So go to the Brethren Court and, you know, set yourself free. Yada, 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 yada. Um, but then Elizabeth gets captured by, you know, the Dutchman. And, and again, it's like, like we're showcasing Elizabeth here where she has been made the captain. She has no attachment to these people that just captured her. But as the captain of the ship, she still stands with them you know, and says like, I'm not leaving my crew that earns the respect of them, which I think, which I think is nice for Elizabeth. And I think that one of the things I've liked about Elizabeth in this movie, you know, especially once we get to where her end point is, is that she does become, you know, fully embrace sort of this, this pirate nature that's been imbued in her throughout all three of these movies, but it's not a total loss of the young girl that like we started these movies with. She's, she still has like 
you know, a, a lot of times when we have these kind of badass female characters, one of the chief complaints and whether it's valid, you know, it depends on the, what the actual character is. But one of the complaints we often get is, you know, we basically make the character like you, we give them more masculine traits and, you know, they, they kind of lose that, that, you know, that feminine side that makes them a female character, makes them a strong female character. One of the things I really like that they do with Elizabeth in this movie is they don't really take that feminine aspect of her away that they do make her this badass. They do make her this captain that will, even this crew that she just became a captain of and has no attachment to, she'll stand by them. She'll help them out. She has this will to fight, but still retains like that same Elizabeth Swan character that we know from Pirates 1 that still has that sort of feminine side to her, which I've always really appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think the way they handle a lot of this is is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so we can just, like, Elizabeth is on the Dutchman. She meets, um, uh, you know, uh, Will's father in the brig because um, she's looking for him. And essentially, uh, Bill Bootstrap Bill has essentially very quickly gone the route of becoming one with the ship. He thinks Will is dead. You know, he's thought Will is dead before. Or like, he doesn't trust that he's coming back. And so he he's kind of, like, gone crazy. He's forgetful. He's he's paranoid. And sort of that's kind of where yeah, he is I, I, at this I thought, point. In the movie. I thought Stellan Skarsgård was really good in this scene. I, I thought uh, he just sold the whole, like, he's going crazy, but he also, like, is going in and out of the memories, but he, but it's, it's still really heartfelt. I, I actually thought this he was has a like, standout scene for him. Yeah. It's great. Cause he's like simultaneously, like there's a moment where he's hopeful. And then there's a moment where he's doubtful. Like he goes yeah. between the two. He's like excited. He's kind of like, there's an excitement with Elizabeth. Like he talked about you. He said like, you were, you were, you know, and that sort of thing. So he's, he's kind of really good. Uh, yeah, and, and then I, this I like is him. where, you know, we get the, um, also I should say, one of the other parts of this whole sequence is that it's Norrington that brings Elizabeth aboard the Dutchman. And she basically tells him that like, Hey, like, you know, get, great job letting my, you know, getting my father killed, you know? And he's like, I know I, it's your father went back to Europe. Like he's fine. And, you know, he's just like, you know, like, you know, who do you believe me or, or Beckett essentially like, and so Norrington gets his moment of redemption. He allows Elizabeth to escape. Uh, eventually bootstrap bill finds out and and become such a part of the ship that he is now fully on Davy Jones's side. It's like part of the crew, part of the ship. He's going crazy. Norrington basically sacrifices himself by letting Elizabeth and the crew cutting the rope. That's, you know, their, their, that's tied to their ship as, as the Dutchman drags it. Uh, And Norrington is killed. Norrington is essentially, you know, basically like, killed off by bootstrap and then jones shows up and we get the moment where he's like do you fear death uh norrington stabs him with the with the the sword the cutlass and then davy jones takes it for his own i do like i do like jones's reaction where like when when norrington stabs is like apparently not like apparently he doesn't fear <laughs> yeah. death i'll take right. that as no sorry the line is i'll take that as a no uh but he's like an impressive sword and he takes it for himself and this is also a part where he's sort of plotting. He's, he has schemes to take over his own ship once again. Uh, he's starting to scheme, though it's not come to fruition just yet. Um, meanwhile, Will gets his meeting with uh, Beckett and Davy Jones, who 
I, again, love the little interactions with them too, where it's like, ah, Mr. Turner, come to rejoin my crew. But eventually, Will reveals that the uh, um, the plan is to, you know, possibly release Calypso. He's overheard that, and you know, don't Jones is adamant that that cannot happen. She was she was put, you know, she was held together. She was bound for a reason. That would be disastrous for all parties. And so they kind of schemed to lead him to the Brethren Court. Eventually, um, I want just want to get to the scene where, where you know, there's sort of a, you know, Will makes his way back to the Pearl or whatever, and um, in this whole sequence, and sort of like, eventually we kind of see that uh, someone is leading barrels to, um, you know, to for Beckett to follow. It's like a, you know, come trailer or trap. We eventually reveal it's Will trying to lead him to the Brethren Court, and we get the scene again with Jack. And um, actually, that's earlier. I forgot. That's what it is. I, I mixed up my scenes. Excuse me. But I want to talk about that scene because, again, I think this is where we get sort of the peak. Like Jack has his agenda and he's doing things so purposely. Right. Like he, he's not kicking Will off the ship because like, OK, he doesn't want him to follow the brother in court. He knows Will is going to be picked up by Beckett and his crew and knows that he's going to, you know, find a means to turn him into to, to Jones and to reveal to Jones that Jack Sparrow is still alive. Right. And I, I like the scene between the two of them and, and the kind of their relationship sort of between these three movies um, it is, uh, is fun. I, I just like that scene. Yeah. I, I told, I apologize to the audience. I totally mixed up the order of sequences. So no, no, no. I mean, it, it, one of the things that actually is a fun takeaway from that, it's like, it, you know, you, you just kind of get this like calm little in a, room conversation scene with davy jones isn't quite like you know it's really not like a big vfx scene like it's not like it's just kind of like a conversation scene between everybody it's really good yeah yeah yes because i because yeah i I don't need to correct myself anymore uh but this is this is all leading up to the actual brethren court Mm -hmm. and, and sort of the meeting of the minds of everybody uh, we are introduced to all the pirates who are all from various places of the world and played by various actors of those places of the world uh, with varying degrees of stereotyping and, you know, slight stuff there, you know. Is what I it think is. it's fun. I think it's like kind of like, okay, here's the French pirate. Here's yes. the Spanish pirate. Here's the Indian pirate. Here's, here's like the, the Eastern pirate. I love the, it. I, I like it. Yes. Uh, there's, there's some fun stuff with those characters in this scene. We kind of get like the sense of like why these pirates never really meet together they're very argumentative mm-hmm. everybody has their own jack piece. has that great line where he's like it, it, it's like it's like this is the first time in our lifetime that the pirates have all gotten together under one roof and he's like and i owe them all money <laughs> like, like, it's like that's that's really good i yeah i actually liked how all this stuff was good and it's also interesting that jack out of everybody feels the most grounded out of all the characters i, I so, think like, that's, that's that like, kind of yeah. what makes it do does work is that all these characters have their big entourages and their own quirks and like the one guy we find out has the very high-pitched voice but so you're always having someone speak for him mm-hmm. there's there's some really kind of fun stuff and so the idea is there's basically two arguments there's three arguments on the table right elizabeth comes in and re- well everybody has their pieces of eight which is basically we find out is like kind of what binds Calypso together, but basically they're representations of what brings them to the table, what makes them a pirate lord. 
And we get the whole, again, I love when Gibbs explains this pirate lore history because Gibbs just gives the whole thing of like, they were meant to actually be pieces of eight, but everybody at the time was like really broke. So we just kind of like put whatever we had together, but the pieces of whatever we happen to have on us doesn't have that much of a, 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 it doesn't roll off the tongue, which, but, but the way that Gibbs says this always fantastic. Yeah. Um, And then you find that uh, Rigetti's eye is one of the uh, pieces of eight. And and that's the reason why he's always so like, it's funny because obviously that was not planned, but then when you go back, it's like, that's why he's always so protective of it is the fact that like, you know, Barbosa, like he has some loyalty to Barbosa to say, to protect it with like your entire life. So like stuff in the first, like, and even in the first movie, when it's like rolling across the deck of this battle and he like has to get it kind of is like fun, like in retrospect too. But essentially what's going down is that there are three possibilities on the table. The rest of the pirates are basically like, well, you know, hey, the rest of the world's going to ship. We can hold we can hold up here for like six months. We have as much food and drink as we need. We don't need to go anywhere. We, we have Shipwreck Cove, which is another funny gag where um, just a very dad joke gag where they're, they get to pirate, you know, they get the Shipwreck Cove and they're like, it gives us like, here we are in Shipwreck Lake, heading down Shipwreck Cove to the town of Shipwreck. You know, we pirates have never had like the greatest imagination with names. And Jack's just like, I knew a guy once with no arms, one leg, and 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 a broken eye. What'd you call him? We called him Larry. <laughs> Very dad joke gag, but I love it. But okay, yeah. back to it. Most of the pirates are like, hey, like, we'll just hold up here. Elizabeth brings up this idea of let's we got to fight and everybody like laughs at her and then barbosa brings up his idea of like let's release calypso you know she'll be grateful that we you know let her escape and hey like she'll just you know she's the sea she'll take care of the pirates and again this is where we kind of get more great jack stuff where jack's whole argument is like eventually it goes into elizabeth but like i love that like again just he's so smart about this in the sense of like these arguments where he talks about like, well, we can't just hole up here because half of us would be dead within a month. We'd all just shoot each other. We, we're, we're already arguing. We can't agree with each other. And Barbosa's plan is dumb because, you know, releasing Calypso is like a wild card that we don't know what's going to happen with that. And spoiler alert, he's right. And basically, it's like we have we have to fight because, again, his whole purpose is to get on Jones's ship. And he knows that the one thing that will get him on Jones's ship is a direct confrontation between the two ships. So he doesn't actually agree with fighting. He's just out for himself, but it just works in the whole scheme of things. I love Jack in this movie. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And we get to, um, this is where we get the introduction of Keith Richards as Jack's father, the reintroduction of the Keys dog, inexplicably. Even sea Rick- turtles. Sea turtles, mate. Rigetti and Pintel re- re- point out how ridiculous it is in, in the sea turtles, mate. And they, they essentially, you know, Jack Stagg, Captain Teague, is the keeper of the pirate code, which is actually a book, a giant book, um, which, you know, happens to just be a set of guidelines, as we establish. Um, But the code says that only the pirate king can declare war. And we haven't had a pirate king in ages, because, again, as Gibbs explains, the pirate king is elected by a vote, and every pirate always votes for themselves. So Jack... Of course, in his ever smartness, brings up the vote. And as planned, everybody votes for themselves, including Elizabeth, except Jack. And Jack is the one 
who votes for Elizabeth, making her the king of the pirates. Which is, I think is a really good place for her character to end up, even by accident. It's just for everything that she was and obsessed with pirates and, and kind of, you know, acting pirate-ish in those first two movies, to her to be the actual leader and to, to grow up and watching that character grow up into this role is super fun to me. I really like where her character ends up. And of course, the pirate code is law. And if she declares war, then war is on. Yeah. No, I mean, it was always kind of like the the little wrinkle that they add to it that, that feels earned. Like It, it, it really does. Of- and I really think that like where Elizabeth ends up feels like it's a great arc and, and, and a great you know leadership of her character. And it's almost like she's kind of like, to a degree, not directly in her father's success of becoming governor, but becoming like a leader of people and a leader of men and women that like she is her father's daughter, but just on a grander scale. Yeah, I, uh, it, it's interesting because... Like, I mean, and it, and it follows up on just the, the arc of that character where she was always the one who was more enamored or at least interested and fantasized about that lifestyle more than anybody else. So it's just, you know, and, and I also think fulfill that role. And I also think that she is a character that we've seen in the past will be, can be that leader. It's just like to take the chance that she knows is kind of risky, but you know, like when you go back to the first movie and like, you know, her, her, her tricking of Jack with drinking the rum and then burning everything up, it, knowing that like a ship would find her and eventually getting back to Norrington as much as she wants to kind of escape that, like that type of character stuff, it directly leads to this. And the type of character that she's presented herself in the first two movies directly leads to that moment where she's the king and she declares war. Um, and kind of like moving forward, we get like, you know, the, the scene, the, the scene with Jack and his father where, you know, we find out their father and, their discussion. How's mom host up the shrunken head? Ugh. You know, um, that's fun. We get the, the great Elizabeth speech, um, which I remember very distinctly. My dad, after we left the movie, was like, oh, do you think she'll get nominated for an Oscar for that? I'm like, probably not. Most likely not. But it is uh, fun. It's good, though. Uh, they it's will fun. know what we can do very good father yeah. and she, no, she, mean, gives, again, she gives it, it her all she gives yeah. it her all it, it comes back down to she was the character who had fantasized about this world and now she's the one riling them up like it's good good stuff and and, and it's again to get the moment where everybody raises their flags and and they're all cheering and they're all on board and then the beckett and the dutchman like show up and then a billion other ships behind them and everybody's spirits immediately deflate and they're like parlay we get to the parlay guitar. Always, you know what? Always a fan. It, it's good and it's fun. It's a funny thing. I actually have, I don't know how I feel about this. How do you feel about this gag of the way they get Davy Jones on land? It's so dumb. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I'm like, like, really? <laughs> like, that's all it takes? It's, it's just buckets so- of water and he could. He can do like I don't know. I, I don't know I, about I, that. I, the one thing I'll give it, I'll, the one thing I'll give is like the times that you could do that are so circumstantial that like I get it. That's like if you're doing it one time on this little tiny kind of like not like a sandbar, 
I kind of get it, but the visual is really silly. Well, it's it, super silly. It, it just always bothered me because then it, like, I never felt like at any point in the last movie I ever wondered, like, well, what would happen if he stepped on land? Now that's all I thought about. Like, I'm like, well, what if, like, what he, if he, like, like, what what if he, he like, fell over when he's trying like, to walk? Like, <laughs> like, what if he tripped on the bucket? Like, he didn't take the big step. He just fell. When he just yeah, I don't know. Like, that was a little silly. That 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 may have stretched it a little bit too much for me. Yeah. A little bit but essentially that kind of the, there's a trade made in in that like uh jack is given to to jones bargaining is had but the, the the fact of the matter is it still looks like like a fight is is gonna happen at some point or another you know but it's just sort of this temporary little truce but again jack is eventually where he wants to be he's in he's in the brig of the dutchman um barbosa still has it in his eye to to release uh, calypso out um, we also have a scene that where, where Jones visits Tia Dalma and, and they sort of like re- reminisce on their, their time together. We see human Jones with the beard, uh, you know, Bill and I, just a, a little moment outside the makeup, but, uh, they're sort of like, you know, they're, they're the star cross lovers, but Jones still feels hurt and, and dragged away. And, and to a degree, you know, Jones, again, at this point is kind of renewed with a sense of purpose where it's like, well, I'm Davy Jones and I can, you know, do what I want. And we're kind of getting to that moment fairly soon, but we got to talk about the release of Calypso. Yeah, this is the problem of the, this is, yeah, this is the thing. To this day, this is like the one scene in this movie where I'm really like, oh, oh, oh boy. you You and I have over the years have often, this is like the number one thing like we have always agreed on that this is, this is no good. Like, it, it's already weird enough just in practice and in storytelling, but let's just face it, the visual that it's just a giant, <laughs> it's just, There's it's some, so bizarre, it's so weird. Not, the one fun part about this scene, the one fun part about this whole sequence where they're releasing, right? So, the we know, thing. The regget, I'll get to that in a Oh, there's two parts of it, but they, they basically, like, Barbosa's whole purpose on the parlay was Jack's like little like hanging earring thing from his hat is his piece of eight. And so like, he sort of like has this moment where he like, kind of like, you know, comes at Sparrow and like, sort of like upset, like pretending to be upset about like all, all the stuff that's led to this. And he cuts the thing off and the monkey grabs it. And eventually like, he's like, we are, we're, we're going to release Calypso. That is our one shot at this. We don't have enough of an army to do it, but you know, Calypso can just, you know, wipe them out with a tidal wave. It's fine. So I love for the one part I love about this scene is the fact that Barbosa like has the thing, like what's the ritual to release Calypso? Well, it's like, you need to say these words. Like you need to burn the, burn the pieces of eight. You need to say this phrase as if you were a lover. And he's like, Oh, all right. Everybody's like, ha ha as a lover. And then Barbosa just shouts it out. He's just like, he like doesn't do it anywhere near a lover. He's like, Calypso, I release you from your human bounds. And like is confused and like why? Which kind of begs the question, like, how good of a lover is he? Which I well, love. He, I mean, he, you know, he's a man of the theatrics. He, he that's he's, the way like, he when looks. you when you love something, you gotta shout it to the rooftops. But then it's it's Rigetti, yes, who's like, No, you said it wrong. And he like goes into her ear and like, Calypso, 
I release you from your curse, which makes sense that Rigetti would be a great lover. He seems like mm-hmm. the type of man who really takes, <laughs> he seems like the type of man who really takes, really takes care of the woman. He, that's the type of man he sees, but this is, but everything after this is problematic. No, not in, it's not, not, it's not, not in problematic. The, it's just bad. It's just not, not no, good. It's not problematic in the like, like, Nothing in, in the social way. In the it, social it, way, it's problematic in the terms of like it just doesn't work because you know, last minute, Will's also on the ship. He's kind of captured too, but he he's like, listen, man, like this is not a good idea because he knows that like you know she's gonna take revenge on us. So he basically reveals like it was Davy Jones who actually like taught them how to bind you. She goes crazy. She turns giant. And then speaks in a booming voice to this day, I can't understand. I have no idea what she's saying. Well, no, she's speaking another language. Okay. No, no. That makes more sense. But you wouldn't know that by the way that the sound design is on this. It still doesn't, it's still not good sound design. Because, like, yeah. I, Sorry, I'm, all- I'm just looking it up because you you can the, there it is one of like the little kind of like behind the scenes thing about what she says. Yeah. Um, shit. My, sorry, my microphone fell. Are we good? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right, good. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, prior to dissolving into a swarm of crabs, Calypso shouts an incantation, which in the scripts, which in the script translates to "Across all the waters." find the path to he who wrongfully entombed me in French. Okay. Which I guess makes sense because her, her, you know. Yeah. Um, I who still cares? Th- it's bad! <laughs> it's not good. Here's the thing. It's like, it, it, it's so, like, listen, I get it. It's a world of, like, fish people and gods and goddesses and like undead cur- like i get it but it's just the vi- like epic up until this point the visual of just a giant woman on this ship with a big booming voice it just it just doesn't work and to make it worse the way in which it plays into the movie seems so inconsequential like i get it it sets up essentially a set piece that's yes. really all it's for like <laughs> there's really is no other purpose in the story afterwards other than like she sets off a storm for the set piece yeah it's true there is a little bit like like and i think it's like there's a slight moment where you get like barbosa actually figuring out like he was his gambit will not work out the way he intended it to there's a small yeah. moment where he considers that but the fact that yeah it's it's like the the, the visuals don't really work the i still have it i have a big i i really to this day like i would have you know, never really considered like the, the French thing, but like you still can't understand a word she's saying, whether it's a language well, or not. Just, and and then, and then on yeah. top of that, she dissolves into a million crabs. And then it's just kind of like, everybody's like, well, I guess that was weird. Like, what do we do? Let's have a big speech. The thing is, is that like, I don't want to make it seem like they're idiots. I understand what they're doing and they're trying to do this thing where they're trying to cr- like thread this needle of how does this, how does the supernatural legend world of pirates fit into like the real world of pirates? And I guess what they're trying to do is like, you know, they, nobody can rely on these legendary tricks. It really is up to the pirates to do them themselves. And and, and 
in many in so many ways the movie does get that point across i i get that but it, it's just such an elaborate messy like seeming feel like it just feels like a just a, a huge in 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 inconsequential thing that happens in the film it, indeed indeed yeah. i agree i agree it's always been it's just, it's just an odd not great part and, of the movie here's the thing the third act has a maelstrom fight which is just as giant and ridiculous but that feels more at home in this franchise mm-hmm. than a giant woman yeah it's just it's just calypso it just it just becomes underwhelming really it's just like you didn't even give her like a more godly appearance didn't give her like an otherworldly tone her 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 form is just a giant version of her human self that then becomes crabs like mm-hmm. there's nothing really godly about it you know and it's just like if you just made her just visually look something different you know like even if it was like hey like she was still like a human size but like she looked more fishy or she looked more watery or something and then you maybe like you know have her turn big or, or go into the ocean and start this maelstrom thing slightly that even though it's still not like a great kind of payoff to the character still kind of works it's the giant thing it's just weird the one other thing I will give credit to this, though, is Jones's reaction to re- realizing that Calypso has been released and sort of like the simultaneous sadness that he feels and like the worry. But also that's really what lights the fire under him. It's like, this is my ship. I need to get in control. And that's when your boy when your boy Mercer dies. Yeah, um, love it. Love it. By by love ten- guys. by tentacle strangulation slash inserting like of his in, in his yeah. like mouth and shit. It's kind of yeah, he gets his whole skull crushed. Love it, and, and it's like neck snapped. It's brutal. It's brutal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, hey, that character was a piece of crap. So, like mm-hmm. within the within the story, um, and so basically, we yeah, we get the big maelstrom. The the Dutchman and the Pearl are heading off to a battle, and we get this giant, epic, third act masterpiece of a of a set piece. Here. When the movie here from all the way till the end is legit excellent. Mm-hmm. The the set piece is really good. It's really immersive. It's fun. It's got it threads in drama, humor, um, everything that was set up before it. And then obviously we'll get to the end end. But and then just the whole mechanic of they're in a giant maelstrom and then they're just shooting. Just the I remember in the trailer the visual of each ship on each side of the maelstrom just shooting at each other. Just and like, as they're as they're going around, yeah, it's, it's so just like, cool. This is what you want. Like I like I'm sorry. Like sometimes bigger is better, and like this is one of the like you don't like the fact that it all led up to like this big, like seafaring adventure it just feels like it it just feels like a classic fantasy pirate story where it's like you can tell like like everything about like the end of this movie just feels like the legend that they will tell as like a pirate tale someday yes like it's like remember when the black pearl and the flying dutchman like fought in a maelstrom like and then you're like no there's no way that happened and then Mm -hmm. like it did happen so it's like and and it's really good and not only is it a culmination of this film, there are so many moments throughout that are just the little moments that go back to earlier films and earlier moments of the characters. Like, so, so all this time, Jack has been in, in the brig of the per or in uh, the brig of the Dutchman with, again, his whole purpose, like, okay, I know the, the heart is on this ship. I need to get out, stab the heart, do that. 
He's got his hallucinations again, which include, you know, the two parts of him plus zombie part oh, of the ship. Oh, yeah, Jack. new, new uh, uh, Flying Dutchman Jack, yeah. Right, with, with the brain coming out. But one of my little favorite little moments of this whole movie in terms of a callback is when we cut to Jack and he's like with his other clones or with his other hallucinations. And he's trying to figure out, okay, how do I get out of here? They're like, they're, they're going back to like, Hey, like I need to get out of here. How can I get out of here? They realize that the door to the brig is the same hinges that he was in the, the, the jail in the first movie, whatever, like the, the, the type of lock that it is leverage. And he, he escapes the same way that, that will help, help them escape in the first movie. It's perfect. That type of stuff is so good. And that's the stuff that I love about the MCU. And this is the type of stuff I love in this movie. Just like oh, you, that moment where it's like it goes all the way back to Will and Jack's like first meeting. And just that him realizing like that same way, like that leverage and, and these hinges, that's how I can get out of here. Well, and then it's also like it also reminded me of like the best of Return of the Jedi too, where it's like you know there is it's not afraid to have silly fun moments in an otherwise big epic like important scene. So like even bits like Pinto and Rigetti shooting Jack the monkey out of a cannon, yes, is right up my alley. Like 100%. when that happened, I was like, yes, that's awesome. And then even and even Will's like, thank you, Jack. <laughs> We also we also get the we also in the sequence we get the kind of big return of uh, Murtaugh and Mulroy. Oh Uh, my god! Yeah, those two. That was fun. That was fun. One of their one of their back and forths. I love that. Like it starts off where it's this you know Jack kind of comes in you can't and like he's basically saying like basically he blames it on the fish people. Like they're like blame it on the fish people. And then the one the one I forget this one I don't know which one's Murtaugh and Mulroy, but one of them calls him out on being racist towards fish people, and then realizes like no, it really is the fish people like that are not disciplined and organized. Like if I think he says like he's like I I I forget exactly what he says, but he says something along the lines of he's like well I'm just saying that it must contribute somehow. Yes, (laughs) it's just a classic like oh and and I suppose we should like like talk about the fish people not to blame it on the fact that they are our fish people like it's just like the, the, <laughs> the nice little back and forth and nonsense that they have together is great but they're all like they're distracted by jack taking it and then they like look at each other that's fun mm-hmm. um and then, and then you get like a jack and davy jones sword fighting which is really awesome but i think you and i are on the same page about maybe one of the best parts of the movie is the impromptu mid-battle wedding scene. (laughs) Again, this is where, despite everything that this movie has and hasn't done with Will and Elizabeth, this is a perfect culmination of their romance. And the fact that they do get to be married is very sweet. And Barbosa being the aficionado, even something, again, that's set up in the last movie when Jack says, like, I'm the captain of a ship. I can just marry you whenever I want. Oh, that's good. You're right. They do. They do plant that. I also should say up until this point, I don't know if I mentioned it, but they do. At this point, they have done an excellent job of getting you on board with the fact that Barbosa is like an on as honorable as you can get as a pirate and that he is one of their allies. Yes. So like, like it, it, it is fitting when dude, when he gets up there and he's like, Barbosa, Marios, he's like, all right. He gets up Cause he, at this point he's like, let's just do it. Whatever. I'm fine. I'm in a maelstrom. We can't go back now. You want to get married dearly beloved. Let's <laughs> he 
just goes for it. I, I think what it is really too is like again, like I think what really works about Barbosa is that he had this gambit with Calypso, which at the end of the day was for a good cause. It was to help all these people. It didn't work, but he's still in the most like, well, we still need to beat these guys. You know, of course, like, you know, I don't, Elizabeth, I don't think now is the best time. Like the whole, like, you know, Barbosa trying to do the ceremony in terms of like killing all these other people. Uh, you know, the I do's are great. And then the best moment of this all where he's like, Barbosa keeps trying to say like, you can now kiss the bride, like whatever, but he keeps getting interrupted by all these other things happening around him. He just turns around. It's like, just kiss. <laughs> and just, and they have the big kiss in the rain, very romantic. And it's like, again, all the faults of the movie aside, this moment works. And it's kind of goosebump inducing when you finally get these two characters having their big wedding, having their big kiss. It's just fun. And the choreography is incredible. The music is incredible. Even with this sequence and with Jack and, and Davy on the mast of the of the Dutchman is really good stuff. There's some really good banter between the two of them in that sequence. Uh, it's just it's just the scene is so much fun to watch. Yeah. I remember, this is a scene where I remember when I got the DVD, I watched this scene over and over and over again. And I, again, like I, I talk about how Dead Man's Chest was really a key moment in my life of getting me into film and filmmaking, but this sequence overall was is another big part of that because i was just obsessed with how good this looked and how good this felt and and the momentum the 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 synergy of everything all the storylines coming together the it just really works it really does it's a, it's a highlight of all three of these movies yeah yeah absolutely no it's all good um also we get a great little appearance from the shellhead guy who once again gets fucking yes. screwed by he his did, head he getting hit in by the chest he gets, um, uh, he, get, he, he gets one over on him. Um, and then, yeah. And then, I mean, it all kind of coalesces in, um, Davy Jones really showing that he's a bastard. Yes. Um, which I thought was interesting that they, you know, they still take the extra moment to be like, he just kills Will just cause. Yeah. Because well, there get, really is no reason for Davy Jones to be doing any of this. Well, is it to kill, the kill, the kill him in front of Elizabeth. And again, right. of course, the irony of everything is it's with the sword that Will made. Right. The All tragic those tragic journey of that sword. The tragic yeah. journey of that sword, that, that sword that he made for Norrington all those all those years ago, all those movies ago, is the is the thing that that kills him in the end. And then of course we get the moment too where Jack, you know, has the opportunity to stab the heart. Mm -hmm. But again, the big moment here is he puts the dagger that puts the sword in Will's hands to kill the heart of Davy Jones, which allows Will to live, but makes him forever in theory forever. And we'll get to that at some point soon. Uh, the captain of the flying Dutchman. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, ba that basically sort of ends, ends the battle, you know, uh, and, and sort of the, in the aftermath of everything, the Dutchman seems to sink in the maelstrom. You know that the, the crew make it. You know, I, I, again, I like again the the nice Jack moment, right? That like the the per, the Jack who's human, where Elizabeth is kind of like giving her last regards. You know, is is her her new husband is just mm -hmm. dying, and and Jack realizes like they have to get off this yeah, ship because like, and, and that's what makes all of this like little last moment stuff with Jack is like it really does show that he is a good guy at right. the end of the day. And like yeah. again, like he has the knowledge now and, and the hope that like hey, like he's actually gonna take over the Dutchman. He's going to be 
fine to some extent. Like I, I need to get us off this ship so we can survive and we can, we can kind of move on. Mm-hmm. So they return to the Pearl and, and everything. And so, and it's funny again, like in theory, when you look at this, like they're basically back at moment one, like the Pearl's kind of beaten up. The rest of Beckett's fleet is on the horizon. Right. And, and only Jack really knows that they have an extra gambit now that he hope is showing up and you can see it. And I love the performance of Depp here. You can see it on his face that like that Jack knows that that if the Dutchman can come up, they've got this fight in hand and that the actual battle will be won. But there's a nervousness of like, well, if that doesn't happen, we are screwed. And especially because Beckett is like looking and like, like, what are they waiting for? And he kind of is like, he, he expects them to honor our agreement, which again, the agreement they made is like listed, like, you know, let me survive, right? Let, like, let me kind of do my own thing. If you kind of get what you want, you get your control of the sea. Let me do what I want. And it's, I'm sorry, Jack, it's nothing personal. It's just business. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's when the Dutchman comes up and I love Beckett's reaction too. like, we get the whole thing where we see, you know, Will in his like kind of Dutchman captain pirates guard, all the, you know, his father is back to normal. All the ship's crew are back to normal. And, you know, we get the thing where Beckett's just like, Oh, the Dutchman survived. How, 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 how nice, how nice to see that. Like he was just like, all right, well, if the Dutchman was done, well, I, I've got this whole fleet now. I've, I've basically taken over. But then when the when the Dutchman turns on Beckett's ship and the Pearl and uh, uh, the Pearl and the uh, the Dutchman have her surrounded, Beckett realizes that this is this is it. I've never it, I've never seen. There's nothing more satisfying as when a villain realizes that they're screwed yes i i always so, think of like one of my other favorite ones is in is in avengers endgame where you have thanos and all these movies and then it's the scene when uh captain marvel comes in and destroys the ship and then you cut to thanos being like oh no like, like when that happens it's amazing but i think this may take the cake of the one of the best like sh- like you know wiping the shit eating grin from a villain's face ever like, i so satisfying it's still so good and and it's again it's a prop to the performance throughout this entire movie and the last movie too it's it's a really props to that performance of him being such a a shithead throughout these movies and being like so confident in himself and that smarminess and and just that presence throughout all of these moments with him that that moment when he realizes like i am done and he just repeats the it's just good business line it's so satisfying and it does remain a great moment to this day and eventually when like it's like everybody abandoned ship everybody's like leaving he kind of like just walks down the steps i I was always again another moment i've said he the, the ships fire on them he walks down the steps like in slow motion everything else is in slow mo like you know you know going crazy around him like exploding he's everything's just barely kind of missing him he's walking down these stairs pieces of water flying everywhere he just kind of calmly looks at it like and then we just get the zoom in on his face as he as he kind of realizes he's 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 dead and that's it he kind of has that life flash before his eyes and and even the little moment of you see the east india trading company flag in the water mm-hmm. and, and just like kind of the explosion and sort of like almost like the blood that kind of insurfaces it. it. It's these movies are, 
underratedly beautiful in a lot of ways in terms of visually, especially like when Gore kind of adds those little moments. Yeah, no, agreed. I mean, it's just, it, again, just a satisfying end to the villain. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it also like brings together kind of like the pirates and the mythology and they're all getting back simultaneously at the, uh, at the, at the bureaucrat. Uh, what, what, what's not to like about it? Absolutely. So this is where we get to the, the, the end part of that movie. Uh, of course, Will is now the same curse as Jones, where only, he can only come on land every 10 years. And so he's a new captain, you know, and he, he tells all his crew that he re- they can release him, but they're like, hey, man, like, we're with you. You're, you're our captain. But this is his one day out of the 10 years that he can, uh, you know, go on land. So he and Elizabeth have their, their last moments together. Um, and again, this is what I was talking about. I really like that despite all the badassery with the badassery of Elizabeth Swan as a character that's showcased, she still gets to be, they still get to have that kind of sensual moment together on the beach, right. Mm-hmm. Where they're kissing and, you know, he's like taking her legs. I, I just think like a lot of movies wouldn't take the time to do that. Well, you know, it, it really just takes this time to end it properly and the yes. music and the way it's directed. Like it, it's, it's a really emotionally satisfying conclusion. And, and it's something that even in big conclusion movies that I like a lot, I always, there, there are a lot of times I can always feel like, oh man, I wish they wrapped this up or I wish I saw this, you know, because I feel like that would have been nice to see this. But this is a movie that kind of ties up the bow on everything that, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the other big, you know, plot line of these films was Will and Elizabeth. Like yes. that was the big one. So for them to really spend time to tie up them with all the new information but and then they also have fun with some of the other with the relationship with the other characters like you get one you get um i forget if barbosa had a line that called back to something but i know yes yes you you get one more last like hello pop it or like goodbye pop it or whatever like that yeah because barbosa's line is um in the first movie he always calls her miss turner like you yes, know, when she thinks yes, right. Yes, that's great. Yeah. And then, and then, in, at the end of this movie, is like you know, Mrs. She calls her Mrs. Turner. Yeah, and like, that, you know, that's basically, awesome. And then, so, like, yeah, the the goodbye poppet is great. I love that. And you know, uh, and 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 there's a really good distinction. You haven't seen this movie yet, but like in one of the later films, the way in which Jack kind of reacts to some of this more emotionally resonant stuff is a little doesn't work as well. But here. Like they make him like a guy who actually does like these people. Mm-hmm. So like it, there's still a little bit of that playful, like you know, Jack. Sorry, it would have never worked out between us. Like keep telling yourself that, and but it's performed in a way where it's playful and like you know, yeah. it, it, it's there's not really the pretense of him trying to pull one over. It's just right. It's you know, just him just like Karen, and and it's a it's a really nice like we know that this is going to be the end of these two characters, and you know, at least for this trilogy. So. It's a nice way to kind of send them off in the sort of the tragic, you know, romance type of way that it's, mm-hmm. there's still like a nice moment between the, between the two of them. Uh, and, and then something in the post credits as well. Um, but we also get to the end of where, where Jack and Barbosa end up in this movie. And essentially what happens is great. It's, 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 it's really good. Great. It's, it's good. a perfect, it's a perfect it. ending to this trilogy. So, Jack is again with uh with his with his lady friends with uh with Scarlet and uh, the other one. 
uh, whatever her name is. Um, uh, Giselle, sorry. Scarlett and Giselle. I can't, how, how can I forget Giselle? They're once again making an appearance. They're on the port. You know, he's, he's like promising to show them their ship. And they're like, what is it? That small one It's like, no, it's my ship. It's a big one way out there. What's it doing out there? And so he also like, you know, basically we get the, we get the slapping gag again as well. What, what, but this time Jack gets to slap Gibbs, which is great. Um, but eventually kind of gives like the, yeah, all right. I get it. Yeah. I get it, yeah. Because, because uh, you know, it's like Gibbs was in charge of uh, making sure the ship there and he's like sleeping with his teddy bear on the dock. Like, where is my ship? We're on the ship. Jack, the ship's gone. Like I, I know that. <laughs> what we're what we know is um, uh, Barbosa took the ship and, and basically convinced once again to leave Jack behind. Though this time on friendlier terms. Um, I want to say before we get to what what we reveal with Jack, I do love how Gibbs and Jack leave each other here. Mm-hmm. It's so such two friends, like just being like, man, we'll see each other down the road, man, and like. like they have like the little handshake. Gibbs uh, takes takes Scarlet and Giselle away. He's like, "What do you know about sea turtles?" Uh, it's so good. And then we go like, you know, the whole crew is like, "We I don't know if we should have left Jack behind again." I kind of feel bad about it. It's like Jen's like, "Look what I got!" Like the we 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 have the map and it's it's uh, there's uh, some stuff on there that we we didn't tell you before. It's got the time for the Fountain of Youth, ladies and gentlemen. Like everybody, like he opens up he opens up the map. And everybody's kind of like looking at like what, and we turn to Barbosa. He picks up the map, and there's the big hole. The map's been cut out of it, and he's literally like Jack. And we cut to Jack on his little dinghy, same place we found him in the first movie, with the map in tow, as he's sort of drinking to himself, fiddling with the map as he showcases the Fountain of Youth in somewhere in 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 the swamps of Florida, and he sails onto the horizon. And we finish the trilogy like that. And, and it's a exactly a perfect ending. There's something really satisfying about, like, in, in a weird way, just, like, the ending of the first movie was extremely satisfying more than anything I've ever seen of him getting the ship back and being the captain and the drink up me, Artie's Yoho. It's just really good. But there's something also, like, really satisfying at the end of this trilogy that he's he ends up back not only with the ship, not n- not with the ship, but in the same exact position that he was when we met him, where he doesn't have a ship, he has the bare minimum, and he's off on he, another adventure. Like, there's just something, like, it just works. It does. It really I, does. And I think what happens is, like, I think that what they do is, like, they they do properly tell the story over the last two movies that this entire really convoluted plot was to justify that they need to be able to fight for the fact that they can do pirate shenanigans and just be so, free and that he can go where he wants to go. Right. So that, the fact like, that it, it almost is like they almost fought for the right for Jack to be able to be marooned and go on more pirate adventures. Right. Like, like he's, he has his rum, he has his compass, he has his dinghy and that's all he needs. And again, like I said, for these movies are, there's such an underrated beauty to them. That last shot of him on just the open sea, the sun in the horizon on this dinghy as like the medallion calls theme from the first movie plays again. It's just like a very nice way to end this trilogy. It really is. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, and, um, and then I have to admit, 
every time I laugh out loud every time that Barbosa undoes that map and then there's yes. a giant hole in the map. It's just it's again like, the performance you know exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah, the performance of Jeffrey Rush in that moment, just the like, like not even like the huge like reaction to it. He's just like he like rolls his eyes. It's just like, God damn it, Jack! Like, you got me. You got me again. We're like, here we go again, right? Because he's got to go after Jack now. Everything about it is so good. Yeah, yeah. And then of course, just mentioned the post credit scene is actually one that has some story implication. The past two had post credit scenes that were jokes. But this one is Elizabeth 10 years later with their son, uh, you know, as she watches Will return to her once again. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting. It's a very interesting post credit scene that they don't stick with, which I think is interesting. But yes, that's more lore implications that is best talked about for the upcoming films. Yes. Uh, but that that is our discussion. We talked a lot about At World's End and the whole trilogy. I think this whole trilogy still holds up. I think despite the flaws of Dead Man's Chest and At World's End, I like both movies and especially this one. I think it ends strong, like both the trilogy does end strong again, despite some of the issues we talked about. But the last like 30, 45 minutes of this movie are chef's kiss. Really, yeah, good. I think I, I think I went over a lot of like what I like and didn't don't necessarily love about the film so i won't necessarily go over that what i will say is like the reason i have such a like a soft spot in my heart for this is just because it is it just commits to such a big fun epic of a, yeah. of a pirate film and it really goes for it and the reason i will i don't want to say a pass but the reason i think it does work more than it doesn't is because of they have an excellent cast of characters Gore Verbinski really knows how to weave in it being fun, you know, and it feeling like a sweeping epic. And and ultimately, when push comes to shove, it delivers. Like, that's the thing. Like, the movie ends extraordinarily strong. And I, and I do think that by the time you finish up this film, like, it almost, it, it just... It just delivers everything that you have you have seen up until that. Yeah, point. and I think it really showcases again these three films, especially showcases the unique voice and attitude and just feeling that these pirate films elicit, especially mm -hmm. this trilogy. Like, there's there's really still nothing exactly like these three movies out there uh, in terms of tone, in terms of style, and I think that it just it was a it, to use a phrase it was a perfect storm of everything. And again, despite all the flaws, it's like you gotta. You had a director that was, you know, bold enough. You had writers that, you know, again, for all my issues with them, you know, up and down the, the, with their career and, and the films that they've made, you've got writers that were willing to take sort of big chances on like the lore and the characters and the moments. And you had a group of actors that were committed and made these roles work despite any flaws that they had. It was a perfect storm of a bunch of different things that make this trilogy so work what it is. It really is to an extent like, very original trilogy, original trilogy Star Wars-esque. And I think those two franchises, those two series, original series Star Wars and, and, uh, and this original Pirates trilogy have a lot more in common than I think people realize just in terms of sort of that feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, um, it's, been, uh, it's, it's been a real pleasure finally uh, just week after week revisiting the, the, uh, this original trilogy. So. Yeah. Uh, so with that, uh, it's time to kind of go to the end of, uh, you know, this whole uh, trilogy with the results 
and the aftermath of Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, the movie releases on uh, May, May 25th, 2007, with another premiere May 19th, uh, 2007, at Disneyland once again. Uh, the big deal with this release was that it was coming right off the heels of one Spider-Man 3, uh, which had just broken the uh, Dead Man's Chest opening weekend box office record. Um, and so, again, expectations were high with the movie. Uh, the opening weekend uh, did not beat that Spider-Man 3 opening weekend, um, but made um, a uh, a good amount of money for Memorial Day weekend of $114 million world uh, in that opening weekend for the United States. Uh, At World's End was distinctly released in a then-record 4,362 theaters, um, and still owns the all-time record for uh, all-time screens, which is 11,500 screens. So lots of people, lots of screens, but just didn't have the opening weekend budget, though it would become the highest grossing movie of 2007, just missing the billion mark with 900,060,000. Um, reviews were mixed, just like with Des Man's Chest. Um a little bit lower than the dead man's chest as well, but that's just kind of par for the course for at this point in the movies uh, at world's end does have, again, just these last two pirates films are just been hotly debated since their release. Um, though again, that original trilogy as time goes on definitely does have its, its chief defenders as well. Uh, distinctly uh, the, 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 um, the word after the movie with, um, with Bruckheimer and crew and the Disney the Disney crew uh, that were behind these movies was that this was the end of this trilogy. And this definitely was the end of the Will and Elizabeth story, but there were going to be room for spinoffs and there was going to be room for more adventures specifically with the Jack Sparrow character. And that's what we get. Uh, basically we're going to head right into our next pirate adventure. When we get back to the pirates franchise, we are beyond the original trilogy now uh, and we are uh, actually looking for the Fountain of Youth. We are going to continue that plot line from the end of this movie. Uh, we will have big plans ahead, big characters that are introduced that may or may not have had more plans to them that we'll talk about. Uh, we are going to be heading on Stranger Tides next time from uh, 2011. And they and strange they get strange. Yes, they get. I'm very excited to revisit that. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit more familiar with these movies than you are. So yeah, we'll be, um, we'll be. I, I I have my story about seeing that movie in theaters too. So I can't wait to talk about that. But next time on our regular episodes, we are back to Trek and we are in the home stretch of that franchise as well. We have finished up the original saga of films, the original 10 films based on the television series. It's time for Star Trek to get the good old reboot train uh, the, to take a chance. Um, a very distinct set of three films as well that I am also eager to revisit. Um, but we got to start with the first one uh, as uh, the J.J. Abrams era of Star Trek begins with 2009's aptly titled Star Trek. Looking forward to it. And don't forget, folks, sometime soon... Hopefully we did talk about our, our plans for no time to die, uh, which is now on digital uh, available for rent. So 
Uh, we do have an idea of when that will release. We are going to try to confirm that in the next couple weeks uh, for you guys of when exactly that's going to come. But rest be sure that the, the end of the saga of Daniel Craig is coming and uh, we will have uh, a, uh, a, a thoughts on it. But other than that, it's time to wrap up, time to plug. Uh, BonzillaPod at gmail.com, twitter.com slash Bonzilla 7 facebook.com slash Bonzilla 7 like and subscribe, iTunes and SoundCloud. Thank you once again for listening. Thanks for sharing these episodes. Uh, it's still fun to do. We're still here. We're still having a good time. Yep. All right, everybody. With that, it's time to set sail once again into a new horizon. I'm Nick. I'm Will. And we'll see you next time. Been too long, hasn't it? I, Illidumweta, remember. You shot me. No, I didn't.